this thing on? Attention, stormtroopers. <laughs> I don't know. I just work here, man. Yeah. Denny? You know what? No, fuck that guy. I don't want to talk about him anymore. We talked about him way too much in the last one. No, yeah, it's, you know, he sets everything up for us, so. Nope. Not talking about him. All right. He's going to steal our heat, man. <laughs> he already is. Did you see that update on Facebook? I think he posted that. Where he was like, Denny returns and also Red and Taiso. You see that? I think he must have posted that. I'm this close to shanking him. <laughs> prison style. Fashioning a knife from ice. Yeah. Stabbing him and breaking it off. Wasn't that in a movie? I don't know. Yeah, I thought it was in I a movie. It was probably in a movie. Yeah, probably was. He doesn't deserve an original death anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 6. Gaming AM. Greatest podcast in the world. I'm Ray Price. With me, as always, is the skipper to my uh, Gilligan, Tom Tolios. How you doing, <laughs> little buddy? I never saw that show. No, all right. I don't even get the reference. If you, yeah, I was gonna say if people get that reference, then just turn on um, what's that channel? Me TV or Me Too? Sometime in the evening, you'll find it. Gilligan's Island. You want me to take time out of my life to understand a reference? Oh, no, no, I'm just saying, like, you know, if you're flipping through the chat. Well, nobody flips anymore. I still do. I'm old school, though. I have a TV antenna. If you flip through, you're always guaranteed to find, like, Columbo or Emergency or something old. Yeah, I saw that uh, antenna. It had, like, a nice uh, rooster ornament on it. <laughs> North, south, east, west. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, one of those. Pretty cool. So um, we set up... Well, Denny, I have to mention him. He set up the uh, the Gaming AM hotline for us. I'm expecting it to be complete crap. If you don't know, if you don't follow us on Facebook or Twitter and these, these things, we have a hotline now. You can give us a call, and uh, if you say something cool, we'll play it on the air. Well, I think no matter what they said, we're going to play it. Well, yeah, that's true. Uh, 773-492-2642. That's the phone number. So write it down. Give us a call. Say something cool. Or don't. It doesn't matter. I mean, if you call and waste our time, we just delete it. We just won't play it. It doesn't matter. You know, when you... Well, uh, you can prank us, but we'll be like, okay, that wasn't funny. And then we'll move on with our lives, you know? so The worst thing you want is to not be funny. Yeah. If you call and you're not funny, I am going to let Denny out of his cage. And he's going to come to your house and shit all over it. <laughs> That's what he does best, man. Thanks, Denny. So we got a couple voicemails, if you can believe it. We're going to play them now. I'm nervous. Yeah. So uh, here's a caller. Let's see what he has to say. Your mother. Okay. Your mother, too. Thank you. I'm dumber now. <laughs> I don't even know what that's supposed to mean. Yeah. My mother. My mother what? Yeah. My mother's a very nice lady. Elaborate next time. Say, you know, like, your mother sucks cocks in hell like the exorcist or something. Yeah. Give me something to work with, yeah, man. Yeah, it's just not enough. Your mother, too. Yeah. I can... Oh, wait, wait, wait. Let me do this right. Your mother. <laughs> I mean, it's almost like a prank call, but he was afraid to actually say anything funny or frightening. Yeah. That was shit. A, uh, a skittish prank caller, yeah. I guess, right? Yeah. That was kind of shit. Yeah. Uh, we got another caller. Let's see what they had to say. 
KJ, long-time listener, first-time caller. Thank you for the mention in Episode 5. That was super cool. I was wondering with the Star Wars DVD out this week, if you guys have had a chance to watch any of the extras, like the deleted scenes and such, and your thoughts on them, if they were uh, things that maybe should have been included in the movie, and then maybe just in general, some other movies, um, some of your favorite DVDs with extras uh, and deleted scenes that maybe belonged in the movie. I have some faves myself. I'm curious what... Uh, what you guys have to say about that as well. And uh, one last thing, you guys suck. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> KJ, that's my buddy from high school. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's somebody we know. That's well, good. He was the one that hooked me up with the uh, the Emperor's kit. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's so cool. He's been a loyal listener from the first episode, and uh, he's kind of like us. He's very much uber nerd when it comes to stuff. Whenever I go to Gen Con and hang out with him, because he lives in St. Louis now. Okay. So he'll come to Gen Con, and he'll bring his kids. We'll make it a point to go and get lunch somewhere. Yeah. And when we go and get lunch, it's just nothing but nerd talk. It's like this. Yeah. Like what we do. I mean, not as good. Not as good. No. Yeah. No. So if we suck, those conversations really suck. Yeah, wow. Jeez. Yeah. Be, but yeah. um, but yeah, he's a good pal, one of my best friends, and uh, he uh, he asked some pretty good questions. Yeah. Now you see that this is why we set up this online because you can shape the future of gaming AM. You can decide what we talk about, and you can engage us, and that's why we did it. So, Force Unleashed or the Force Awakens. I'm sorry, Force Unleashed. That's also good, game. though. Yeah, that's also, also a good. good uh, they yeah. need to release a uh, uh, version of ex- extras of that. Too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I did maybe, watch the extras. Maybe they should release a version of the Force Unleashed too. That's a complete game. Mm, That'd be nice. Yeah, and finish the Force Unleashed three. Maybe. Yeah. They well, started it, right? I doubt it'll ever happen. No, I know it won't, but still. So the Force Awakens. No, I have not watched the Blu-ray yet. It's not that I don't want to. Mm-hmm. It's just that I haven't really found the time to. I'm a little frustrated that there are different versions of it out there. What I mean? Yeah, by that isn't is, there um, one with BB-8 on it or something? And the Target version comes with like an extra 20 minute sequence. Oh, really? That details like the training regimen they had to go through. I, I think it's the training. So regimen. more extras if you buy it at Target. Yeah, and the Best Buy version comes with the Steelbook case. The Target version is like a really shitty cardboard case. So you almost have to buy all of them. Buy the Best Buy one and then put the discs of the Target one in the Best Buy one to have like the best version. My guess is the discs are probably the same. Yeah. But the Target one comes with some extra disc. It's probably something crappy like in a little extra sleeve or something too. I haven't seen it yet. I don't know. Hmm. I have not watched them yet. I want to. I just really haven't found the time to do it. Mm -hmm. I was working pretty heavily on that blog. That I posted. Yeah, man. Uh, if you haven't read that blog, you should uh, <laughs> you should check that out. Thank you. It's um, Batman versus Stupid Man is yeah. what I call it. Yeah. And, uh, I didn't really have a clever name for Batman. No. I didn't want to call him Batfleck. I didn't want to call him Bland Man. Like, I was getting ideas from people, and it was like, you know what? I just want to kind of point out how awful the movie is. So He's Batman bad. is just a good way yeah. to put it. I was like Murder Man, but no, nah, it doesn't rhyme with Batman. <laughs> it's not really like... It's not really a parody of Batman. It's yeah. like its own thing. But I had a lot more fun writing it than I thought I would. Because yeah. I've talked about this stuff so often that uh, I thought writing it all down would just be rehashing things that I'd already talked about. But, man, once I got those bullet points down, I just went to town on that movie because yeah. it's really bad. It's pretty fucking awful. <laughs> but, yeah, there's not not too many redeeming qualities there. 
we're not talking about that. Go read no, the blog. That's, uh, well, that's the thing. We we talked about that, and then we threw that episode in the garbage, and then yeah. we made a real a, an actual good episode five that wasn't just us railing on that movie. But I wanted that to get out there, and who better to do it than Tom because he's he's the writer. Well, I do appreciate the compliment. Uh, but to KJ's question. Don't get used to him. You can just tell me off the air, sweetheart. <laughs> nice. So, no, I haven't watched any of the extras yet. Uh, I, I did. Want- they were cool. You know, it wasn't anything like groundbreaking where I was like, oh, that should have been in the movie. You know, I was just like, okay, I can see why they cut that and why, you know, I don't want to tell you what they all are because you haven't right. seen them, but are they there's all- nothing super exciting. It's like four minutes. Are, really? That's yeah. it? I was like, I was expecting like, oh, look, this would be cool, you know? And I was a little like underwhelmed almost. I was Man, like, well, that's it. That's like four minutes. That's economical of Abrams to like, yeah. shoot a film and put almost all of it in there. I heard there was like tons of stuff with Mass Kanata and all kinds of junk cut out of it. And to only have four minutes that actually made it onto the disc. Why? So there's more footage that's not there has to be the cut of that movie was i'm sure like well over four hours long he cut all this other junk out i don't know about that though because abrams is one of those storytellers that likes to put questions in the story yeah but he doesn't like to answer them he likes to leave the answers for later and then he just never answers them there's always that picture of kylo ren without his helmet in the snow oh yeah there's always that picture everywhere yeah you finally see where where that came from okay but, uh, yeah, that was the only thing. I was like, oh, there's that scene. Okay. So you don't have to tell me what the scenes are, but are they all of similar incidental quality to the scene that they show in the trailer for the cut footage of Kylo Ren finding the Millennium Falcon? Yeah. And he's like, Han Solo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so they're all yeah. kind of of that quality where it's like, okay, if I didn't see this. That's in it. Yeah. That's I, there. And that's I figured it. that's one of yeah, them. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. The answer is yes. It's kind of a dumb scene. That's that's what all the scenes are. They're not dumb. They're just like, yeah, the movie does fine without this. How'd they even? I guess they could have crawled in through the top of the ship. Yeah, because the ship has a hatch. Landed. We know because we saw Luke Lando when Lando Luke came up, it. and Luke was like, "Leia, there's a guy about to rob me." <laughs> oh, that's awful. That's a robot chicken. <laughs> Leia, I think I'm about to get robbed. Man, fuck you! And he goes checked out. <laughs> The cool part about it is it's really Billy D. Williams doing Lando. Mm-hmm. So, on an interesting side note, I've been watching Clone Wars, and yeah. there was an episode where Obi Wan got a vision from Qui Gon, and Anakin got a vision from Shmi, and Liam Neeson and Prinell August played their characters. Oh, cool! I was really surprised by that. Mm-hmm. It was kind of neat to see them bring the actors back. Really good set of episodes too. Well, there's no more Taken movies. What's he doing? Seriously? Oh. Um, Sure, he's gonna find something. <laughs> the Clone Wars, he found something. I like when they do that when they actually go and get the actual actors to reprise their roles. Yeah, speaking of um, Star Wars, um, Rogue One. We got to finish answering KJ's questions. What? Well, yeah. we're gonna let voicemails dominate our episode. Didn't Come on, you say man. you can shape the future of Game oh, Jam? You said that. it, motherfucker. Yeah. Besides, if one of your friends called up and was like, "Hey, what'd you think of the Punisher and Daredevil season two, Huh? I mean, we'd have to talk about that, right? Because your friend called. No. 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 Uh, the hope is that people other than our friends and our moms will call and stuff. I, I like getting calls from my friends. <laughs> I'm kidding. Go on. Uh, what other DVDs and Blu-rays with extra features have you liked, Ray? I don't watch that many. 
this was a special occasion because it was Star Wars. Some of the like, behind-the-scenes stuff takes the magic out of it for me. I'm just like, oh, that's how they did that. Before, I was like, oh, that's neat. And now I know how BB-8 works and stuff, and I'm like, eh. For me, I think the problem is that I just there's so much that I'm doing right now. And so yeah, I'm the same way. I'm it's watching, like, it's like, could I consume something new, or could I consume a bunch of behind-the-scenes features of something that I've already seen? Yeah, like, right. I have to kind of choose what I want to spend my time watching because I don't watch a lot of TV. I don't really spend a lot of time in front of a television set watching things. I prefer to do things like, you know, I prefer to like read or write or even play video games. I prefer to be more active. I'm not really like a passive consumer of entertainment. And I do have my TV shows that I like to watch and I try to squeeze in a half an hour of a show or episode or two of Clone Wars here or there, but that's really in between other things. So yeah, I I used to a lot more. I'd watch like the, or I'd listen to the commentary of like all the Kevin Smith movies. And we, yeah, well, there's entertainment value there too. It's not just educational. Like back then, he was a fun guy to listen to. Right. One that I really liked was the, uh, I don't know if it was the 20th or 25th anniversary of uh, George Romero's Dawn of the Dead. It's a black box set okay. with red foil on the cover of the iconic artwork of the logo and then like the zombies head from like the nose up on the horizon like it's that okay there's a lot of really neat stuff in that dvd for extras because you've got the the unrated version you've got the rated r version you've got the version that played in europe with different footage you've got like the three hour cut or whatever and they're then, not all on there, are they're they? Not, they're all on there. Oh, my God. All the different versions are on there. Wow. And then there's all this extra making of footage that was done while they were filming the movie. Because that's the movie where they shot in a shopping mall. Yeah. It's a really neat time capsule because you see stores that from our youth they we remember them. and they're in our own room, Like the county seat. <laughs> yeah. There's a county seat <laughs> in that mall. And they pass by it several times. Yeah. And it's not just like the stores, but the logos of the existing stores are really neat to see. Yeah, yeah. And it's cool that they were actually recording all this footage while they were making the movie. So then they have it all in these mini documentaries. And it was a much different process back then. Like George Romero in the DVD, there's this story that he um, – or maybe it's during the commentary. They tell this story about how um, – Back then, there were no laws or rules for them to follow. Like, George Romero just went to the mall owners and he's like, We want to shoot a movie here. And he's and they're like, Okay, you can shoot overnight, but you have to be done by this time. Yeah, yeah. And then you can come back the next night and shoot it. So every night they're going there and they're shooting overnight in this mall. And they've got the keys to the whole fucking place. That's insanity. And they're doing stuff that they don't even know if the mall would have approved of, like going into stores and shooting footage in particular stores and stuff like that. Uh, There were these cars that were in the mall. Uh, like when you go into a mall and you see like they have a car there, car for, there. Yeah. Well, they were driving the cars around <laughs> inside the mall and adding them to their set pieces. Can you imagine even a margin of that stuff happening in a movie today? No way, man. Like there's no way the mall would let them do that. In fact, the movie industry wouldn't let them do that. Oh, right. what car is that? What's the make and manufacturer? Yeah. Do we have an agreement with them, yeah. or do we have to use their competitors? Kind All of, this red tape just for the car, let alone yeah. everything else they're doing in the Whereas mall. Whereas back then they just they did it and yeah. was another cool thing about it was they talked about how there was very much an unsettled uh, a wild west 
a frontier aspect to shooting movies back then because <laughs> if an actor or a stunt guy or a zombie wanted a zombie actor wanted to do something, they just go to the director and they say, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if like, you know, I got killed by having a machete put in my head and Romero would look at Tom Savini, who was the effects guy, and be like, Can we do that? And Savini'd be like, Sure, and George Romero would be like, Do it. You know, so it was really neat because it was a collaborative process. And yeah. I didn't really understand it the first time I saw the movie because I didn't know anything that went into the making of the movie. Yeah. Now, in those repeat playthroughs, I see all of the wacky shit that goes on in that movie. And I'm like, okay, that had to be an idea that one of the actors gave them to put that in the movie. Yeah, right. And just going back and watching it and knowing, like, this is all in some mall. Yeah. That, like, they don't really have, like, proper permission to be in they sort of do but well they do but they're just the regulations and the laws and what they were allowed to do back then was very different because it was a very different process back then i mean it was independent cinema but even so there still had to be regulations there still had to be rules that you had to follow and back then those rules didn't exist so much it's kind of why romero the couple times he's tried to make movies that have uh, been According to Hollywood's rules, they just never really hit. And I, I honestly think because his heart's not in it. Hmm. I think he's more of an independent guy and he just wants to be able to do his own thing. But all that aside, I really like the Dawn of the Dead movie for that reason because it gives you all that insight. And that's an interesting one just because of all the unconventional shit that they did to make that movie. Like yeah. what a standard Hollywood blockbuster. Like would I want to watch all that stuff for like a Transformers movie or would I want to watch all that st- stuff for – um? You know, a born movie. I don't know. I don't really know how interesting it would be. It's all slick and overproduced now, too. Yeah, it's yeah. like all the all that behind the scenes shit. Even Disney, all that behind the scenes shit is just very overproduced, very slick. There's nothing raw or and everything, yeah, honest I, about right, it. Right, right, right. And everything in it is kind of like here's what we want to say. Here's what we don't want to say. You can kind of tell it's like pre-written and pre-planned. It's not off the cuff. It's very much. A marketed behind the scenes thing. Yeah, what things... I want to see something more raw. Yeah, I thought the same thing when I was watching this stuff. A lot of the things you can tell people want to say the prequels suck, and they're like, one of the things JJ wanted was like he wanted everything to be practical. A lot of the sets to be as practical as possible. All the monsters and the droids and all these things, like you know, actual real world stuff. They kind of stopped themselves because we all know that in the prequels that George didn't want anything. You know, he wanted everything to be CGI. It sucked, but they stopped short of of saying that. Yeah, I think that they just praise George Lucas as their creator, and that, that's real Disney's, sterile. See, that's the thing. That's in Disney's best interest to do that exactly because they just paid they paid four billion dollars for this for Lucasfilm. But even early as early back as the prequels. You had behind-the-scenes footage of George Lucas saying, I may have gone too far in a few places. You don't see anything like that in this. Which is pretty earnest, actually. It's something that you got to give Lucas credit for, for actually being willing to show those. Or did he not watch it? He <laughs> I was just like, a possibility. Yeah, well, you have fun. I get, let's take a look at um, how when the Episode 1 extras were released, and then let's see who still has their jobs when <laughs> right. the Episode 2 extras were released. <laughs> and then we'll know. You don't even know like what was changed. Maybe they took away the ping pong table in the break room. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if you keep putting those things in the extras, next thing you know, we'll shutter all the windows. Yeah. Take out the vending machines. <laughs> George but, is a dick boss. <laughs> well, I got that impression anyway. Yeah. That's how he got to be where he was, by being fiercely independent. As much as he's resentful of the fans for demanding things of him that he doesn't want to, you know, he doesn't want to be controlled by anyone. And I can understand that considering he built all that. By that same token, it does make him thorny. Yeah. 
But uh, the Disney stuff, Disney knows how to market nostalgia like nobody's business. They, mm-hmm. They're the best at marketing. I didn't watch all of the extra. Like between the time when they first showed the teaser trailer for the original the te- original teaser for The Force Awakens all the way up to the release of the movie, the only thing I watched were the trailers yeah. for the movie. I didn't watch any of the behind-the-scenes stuff. I didn't watch any of that stuff. But eventually I did go back and watch the stuff that got posted. But I'm watching it and I'm just like, man, these guys are just – they're selling me back my childhood right. what they're doing. <laughs> oh, we're using practical effects and oh look, we're building a Millennium Falcon and we're back in the desert and all this and oh, you know, we've got stormtroopers and TIE fighters and it's the Star Wars that you remember and I really think what they're doing Not is only think- do we have like TIE fighters and all these things, they're creating this iconic imagery. We've got X-Wings. Not only do we have X-Wings, we've got a black X-Wing. And that black X-Wing is like sailing over the water like mm-hmm. you've never seen an X-Wing do before. We've got TIE fighters, but they're black now. Here's three of them silhouetted on a sunset. You know, not only the iconic imagery we remember, but shown in like very artistic ways and dressed up, yeah. you know, very pretty. It's like speaking to the inner child in us, but the inner child in us that understands the adults that our bodies have grown into. Yeah. You know, so we're seeing old things in all new ways. Yeah. And you watch the extras and everything and it kind of just reiterates everything we just said. Like they just tell you, you know, how great JJ is and, you know, and and that's fine. He did a good job. But they had to do that though, because Disney spent all this money on Lucasfilm. They want to make it look as good as possible. It's very corporate to me to hear you say that in those terms. It's very corporate. I'd say almost cynical because what they want to do is they want to present a particular image rather than show you the real deal them not referencing the prequels also does not surprise me because the prequels i don't want to say it almost destroyed star wars because it did because people families bought the prequel shit they did yeah i mean we already destroy star wars but we already talked about how i don't watch clone wars because i can't get over that stigma but i think you should just barrel through it it's actually really solid show yeah but you can talk about that another time what the point i'm trying to make is that they don't want to reference the prequels because the prequels carry a stigma, like mm-hmm. you said, and it creates a negative sentiment. Disney is all about good feelings and good times and having right. fun. And, you know, remember this? Remember this? Remember what this felt like? Well, it's all back now. And if they start referencing those prequels, I would be shocked if you heard them reference Padme or Mace Windu yeah. or Coruscant even mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in these new movies. I don't think they're going to bring any of that shit up. That stuff matters. I was actually surprised to hear um, Maz Kanata mention the Sith. Oh, they're actually... Well, the Sith are something that, while they're not mentioned in the original trilogy, it's something that I think the marketing for those characters from the original trilogy, like anytime that you open up like a magazine with Darth Vader from the seventies or early eighties, it'd be Darth Vader, dark Lord of the Sith. Mm -hmm. I think that some of that language is nostalgic in itself because even though it was never said in those movies, it was used in so much of the marketing that it's just something that I didn't know that. I'm like Mr. Plinkett. I didn't read any of them comic books or novels. Well, I'm just talking about like a picture in the newspaper. Yeah. Or what it says on the action figure. Okay. On the card for the action figure, it'd say that. I never had action figures either. I had Transformers. That's like all I had. I never collected Star Wars action figures. I was like the odd man out. Transformers are fucking expensive too. Yeah. I had them. Not that many. I actually had quite a few. I never did pick up, uh, let's see, who were the two... uh, Sludge and 
snarl the the triceratops yeah i didn't buy those those were given to me oh okay so i didn't get the weapons with them no but swoop slag and grimlock i actually bought so okay. my, those were in perfect shape and i had optimus and i had megatron i had tons of i had tons of them do you have the uh, masterpiece optimus prime and no megatron? man those are beautiful <laughs> those are beautiful so i guess i don't really those have are my crown them. jewels man those are quite impressive just waiting for my kid to knock them over one day <laughs> hey look Aww. Do I think any other Blu-rays or DVDs that I think have a bunch of really cool extras? Well, I think that the Lord of the Rings, the extras that come with the extended editions are extremely fascinating. But <laughs> I always laugh whenever I hear somebody talk about Lord of the Rings extended edition. The movie is already like three fucking hours. Now it's extended? Yeah, well, More walking. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to defend them, though. I think what they are is there for people that read the books. Okay. Because if you read the books, there's more stuff yeah. from the books in them. That makes sense. I think that the extras in The Lord of the Rings are pretty interesting just because those movies, when they came along, it kind of made fantasy big again. Yeah. And seeing how Peter Jackson took the seminal fantasy story, the standard by which all others are judged, and turned it into cinematic history. It's a fascinating process of filmmaking, yeah. but like the movies themselves, they're very long. Yeah. And you have to A, be really into Lord of the Rings, and B, be willing to spend the time to watch them all. I've never watched them all. Yeah, you know, I never even saw the second and third movie. I yeah, saw, I know. I not... saw Fellowship uh, three times. Yeah, I'm surprised tried. you even saw it three times. Yeah, well, I tried because everybody would tell me. Like, I remember when I first saw it in the theater. You and, like, you know, other people that we know, like, oh, man, you got to go see it, got to go see it. I'm like, all right. I went and saw it, and I was just like, why? I think maybe the people that were talking about They're not you bad. Know, I wasn't bored. I wasn't like Batman v Superman, like, this is dog shit. Or, like, Michael Bay, this is crap. I was like, okay. But it's not like, you got to go see it, man. I mean, like For me, it wasn't like that. But it's the type of movie where I, when I watch it, it's okay that other people like it. Like if somebody tells me, I like Transformers, I want to punch them in the face. Whereas, well, then, Actually, let me, rephrase, let me rephrase that. If somebody tells me that, I think they deserve to be punched in the yeah. face. No, and I actually, actually punch them. I'm going them. to take that back again. Too. I'm going to amend that again. If a person <laughs> whose opinion I respect tells me that, I want to punch them in the face. Like if I'm somebody that I work with or something says, oh, I love those Transformers. Nah. I don't really know anything about them. I don't want to hit them in the face. No, I, just, I disagree. I anybody, for me, it's anybody who like, oh, those movies are cool. I just want to punch them. Whether I know them or not, whether I respect them or not, they need to be punched. Yeah. Lord of the Rings, it's like if somebody likes that movie, it's like, okay, that's cool. That's fine. You know, one of those things that's not for everybody, I guess. I'm one of those people. I'm the odd man well, out. Yeah, you're, you like, are the odd man out in that case because yeah. those movies were like a phenomenon. Yeah, also, yeah. Another thing I really liked about them was that they were only a year apart from each other. Mm -hmm. So they were all filmed back to back. Right. And I, as a moviegoer, I appreciated not having to wait two or three years between films mm -hmm. because the first two both ended on cliffhangers. Yeah, yeah. Now, I will say this about those movies. I don't think that the action scenes in them are very good. And mm. what I mean by that is if you watch them, there's a lot of that chop slow motion it's like slow motion, but it's really choppy, like it's missing frames. And there's a lot of quick edits and shitty camera angles. It's almost <laughs> like they didn't know how to shoot good action scenes. Yeah. They shot it from a bunch of different angles and then threw it all together. Like Peter Jackson had this thing that he used to do back in those days where it's like he would have that choppy slow motion. Mm -hmm. I find that irritating. If you ever watch Fellowship of the Ring again, and I don't think you're going to, but if you ever do... Pay attention to the action scenes. They're not very good at yeah. all. I, well, I just remember, like, everybody was like, 
there, there's that moment when with the uh, uh, Gandalf with the you shall not, you know, and the, oh, this is the movie's drum solo, man. And I'm just like, this. I've never heard it described as the movie's drum solo. That's <laughs> <laughs> like it's only something Jack Black would say. <laughs> I, I kind of sounded like him when I said it too. <laughs> you got to watch this cage. All right. Yeah, I was just like, yeah, okay, it was, all right. Kind of cool, I guess, but I wasn't like on my seat going, no way, dude. There was a lot of criticism about The Hobbit not being as good as Lord of the Rings. Is that true? I'm going to be a little controversial and say, look at it in a different way. Because I actually read The Hobbit like when I was a kid. like That was the only one I read. I didn't read Lord well, of the Rings. I'm talking about the movies. I know what you're talking about, but I'm saying eighth grade or something. They make you read a book. Dude, like Here's this, The Hobbit. So I the, read Hobbit's the Hobbit's not a difficult read. No, it wasn't bad. Here's what I think about the Hobbit movies. I know that people say, oh, they're not as good as Lord of the Rings. I don't think they're any worse than Lord of the Rings. I think the quality of those movies is largely the same. Yeah. I just think that Lord of the Rings might not be as good as you remember it. Okay. If that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. I like the Hobbit movies just fine in the same way that I like the Lord of the Rings movies. I can sort of sit back now and view it in a longer lens and absorb it better. I would be willing to watch them again anytime, not all in a row. Yeah. But and not the extended editions, certainly. I, well, no, I, I have the extended editions on Blu-ray. Okay. The extended edition of the third Hobbit movie is rated R. Oh, weird. Isn't that strange? What's in it that's... More violent. Oh, okay. But those movies were... Released... Just the home edition, though, is the, rated R. Yeah, the home... The extended edition of... The Battle of Five Armies. Like Batman the, v Superman's home right. edition is rated R, which is yeah. going to make it way better. You know, fuck that. <laughs> And here's why I say that. Because Deadpool came out and, oh, it's a rated R movie. And clearly that's the reason why it's so good. No, it's it's good because it has a heart. It's not afraid to be what it that is. That was hilarious to me when, when Hollywood just like latched onto that. Like, oh, we got we to gotta do that, man. More rated R superhero movies. <laughs> Fuck And then like you. every news headline was like Wolverine 3 to be rated R and, and uh, the next X-Men movie to be rated. Like all these headlines like came out, like all this rumor think, bullshit. I, I don't think they understand that making a superhero movie rated R is in the long term not a good thing. It makes sense for Deadpool. Yeah, and, it makes, and that's it. Well, I'd say that it makes sense for Wolverine, too. Look at his power set. Yeah. He has a healing factor. His power set is murder with well, <laughs> bladed weapons. Well, th- I'm being serious here, but his power set is a healing factor. How do you really showcase the effectiveness of his power? Without him getting his ass kicked. Exactly. Yeah. And then he's got the claws to rip people to shreds yeah. with. Getting uh, big chunks of his skin and musculature blown off by, uh, by uh, what's her name? In X-Men 3. Right? What? <laughs> oh, that's right. You don't remember that movie. No, I, I don't remember that movie, and I'm thankful that I that I don't remember it. Yeah, episode seven is uh, going to be our big uh, X-Men 3 episode. That's what we're going to talk about the oh, whole episode. Uh, who's going to be your guest star? Because I won't be here. But Wolverine's power set is such that he would be good for a radar movie. He smokes. He gets drunk. Yeah. I don't understand how Wolverine gets drunk considering his healing factor. That's true. Good if point. you start asking too many questions, it all falls apart. Yeah, everything. Anyway. Yeah. Well, back in the beginning, his healing factor wasn't so fucking obnoxious that he could regenerate lost limbs and shit. It was just a slow healing well, factor. Well, as I was talking about in that movie, in almost instantaneously regenerating like big chunks of his. Yeah. Like, I don't, like, it's fucking nonsense. It was. You know, the idea was that the healing factor had to take time to kick in, yeah. but it would, it would eventually fix the damage that was done to him. 
Uh, but they could do. I mean, that works. Any yeah. Punisher movie should be yeah, rated. Oh, yeah, totally. But he's not a superhero anyway. Yeah. He just exists in a superhero world. Yeah. You know, he doesn't have a power. He like shoots dudes point blank in the head. You know, he's I mean, just it's... really good at killing people without being noticed. Yeah. And he's when he gets in a fight, he's good enough to beat up mafia thugs. Yeah. You know, and he's resilient, and he knows how to hide. Like those are his abilities, and they're not really po- they're not powers. He's not a superhero. Yeah. That's part of the relevance of the characters that there's nothing superpowered about him. Yeah. It's kind of scary almost because really it could be any one of us. Yeah. You know, that's kind of the point. It works for um, Punisher. It works for uh, Deadpool. Maybe Wolverine. I could totally see that. You could even argue that Daredevil and Jessica Jones are also rated R, although they're Netflix series. What happens in those is rated yeah, R. It's rated R. They're dealing with a very seedy sort of dark element of the world and of New York City. And... It's going to be violent. There's some fucked up shit that happens in all those shows, yeah. yeah so. Because you're dealing with that type of world, so it's okay for those things to be rated R, but not every superhero thing needs to be rated R. Yeah. But that was what was so funny to me when that first came out. That, that movie's doing well. News headline after news headline on like any cinema website yes. you went to. This uh, rumor, this movie, that movie, you know, everybody wants to go rated R. You heard that for like a couple weeks after Deadpool. Might make us a couple bucks, you know. There's not, you know, just look at the numbers. Not as many people can go see this movie. You lose a whole giant important demographic if you go rated R. Jump in the gun a little bit. To finish off the question, I would also say any other movies that are technical marvels, like say James Cameron's Avatar. Avatar, uh, the I, first I, Matrix film. Yeah, anything where... where Groundbreaking... It, Pushing Technical cinematic stuff. Boundaries. Yeah, yeah, I would yeah. even say that the making of episode one is interesting. Yeah. Because they were trying a bunch of new shit. Well, it's better than the movie. Even Rick McCallum couldn't ruin the uh, <laughs> making of. Rick McCallum, who his hair always looks like so disheveled. Perpetually confused. Yeah. Well, confused and drunk, probably, from dealing <laughs> with George Lucas. Like, he just looks like, his hair looks like Doc Brown. Like, whenever you see him, he's just all like, oh, God. It's sad when you think about it because you know that the reason those guys are acting like that is because that's how people act in corporate America. It's so heartless. It makes me surprised that movie even got made watching it. Yeah. You know, just them sitting around deliberating and meeting after meeting. That's what it looked like to me. Well, when they're talking about the sound design or when they're talking about what it took to go to Tunisia and shoot and yeah. all that stuff, it's just, I'm watching it and I'm just like, there's no passion in this. Yeah. There's no excitement in this. The only guy that, in my opinion, has the right to act that way is John Williams. <laughs> and the reason why is because the dude is just a maestro. It's like, you know, I'm about to go compose another cinematic masterpiece. I would say that none of the music that he did for the prequels, with the exception of two tracks, really stands out or is noteworthy. I'd say Duel of the Fates and uh, Battle of the Heroes, yeah. which is the music that Obi-Wan yep. and Anakin are fighting. I think that's a really, really great track. And then it becomes 45 minutes of lava. Piratey fight scenes with lights. But the music leading up to that was good, yes. Yeah. Those two tracks are good. So there, anything that's important, technically speaking, you know, like on a technical level, I'd be interested in that. But uh, And I, uh, to speak to your last point, you also suck. Probably more than anybody that has ever sucked. <laughs> like you suck more than Hitler, dude. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. That's sucking pretty hard. Yeah. It's a good thing you know him. You'd like alienate a listener if you said that. I don't think we would. But it's just this guy, so it doesn't matter. He's going to listen no matter what. That's true. They all will. Legit, KJ, thank you for the question. It actually added... About 30 minutes, so thanks. Patted it out. (sighs) 
I was worried. I'm looking at my paper here. I only got like one thing. So It says the bio of David Warner. That's all I had. Cross that out because right. we already talked about it. Uh, Vic Mananya. I'll cross that out. <laughs> Why don't you two just fucking get it over with? It's still going on. This is the last time I'll mention it because it'll be over by the t- next time. They need go go. I finally jumped on the bandwagon. So they're not going to make their goal. And uh, he had an interview where he was like, yeah, everybody's gun shy because of this whole, this mess with this other thing. He didn't call it by name, but he's just like, yeah, this mess is how he referred to it. People are a little gun shy now. They're afraid to donate. And he's like, I can understand that. He didn't completely take a shit on somebody else's (laughs) uh, fan film? No, it was like the polar opposite. Now his is not doing as well, but he's just like, you know, there's this mess going on with Paramount shutting down some other productions and people a little gun shy can completely understand. That's why we went to Indiegogo. Because, you know, we can keep the money that we raise and then the viewers can decide how many episodes they want us to make. You know, we'll just do it by an episode by episode basis if we have to. And that's fine. As long as it keeps going in some form. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I want to read you a headline. Are we going to talk about Rogue One? If you want to. Yeah, I think we should discuss Rogue One. Okay. Uh, But do you want to do this headline first? Uh, It might lead to uh, something long. So we might want to touch on Rogue One first because, yeah. Or or this could be over in three seconds. All right, well, let's touch on Rogue One then. Yeah. What did you think of it? I wasn't like, oh my God, you know, like with The Force Awakens, I was like, oh my God, like there's Han and Chewie and there's the Falcon and there's everything. Now this is like Star Wars. Cool. That's kind of a shame. Why do you say? Because when Star Wars... Were you, were you like super excited? I was really excited about it because I like the idea of an adventure taking place somewhere in the galaxy that doesn't revolve around the Skywalkers yeah. being filmed yeah, yeah. with live actors and it's it's a legit production. Yeah. I want the saga movies to be about the Skywalkers. No if fans are about about it. If Ray is not related to the Skywalkers, I'm going to fucking riot <laughs> because I don't want somebody else coming into the saga films and pillaging yeah. That legacy. Well, I'm reading these headlines now that they've brought in some new actress. John Boyega was like, oh, this girl they brought in. She's like basically the main character of episode eight the, the day or two ago. Okay. They brought in some new actress. I mean, Ray's still in the movie, but he's like, oh, this new girl they brought in. Oh, she's really good, man. She's basically the star of the movie. And my wording might be wrong. My brain picked it up as she's the main character. And I was like, I don't like that. I don't want them to shift the character to somebody else. I'm just saying they could be bringing in new characters that are completely turning things on their head. On the other hand, it could be John Boyega saying she's so good she basically steals the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be that too. So it could be anything. I had to reread the headline and see exactly what he said. He said something on Twitter or something like that. But uh, Rogue One, I liked a lot of the imagery. I liked the battle with the... um, the ad-ats. The walkers is what I was going to say. Like, I, I that scene... Yeah, that was cool. That opened my eyes up to the potential of what can be done with Star Wars on the big screen. Mm-hmm. I was looking at that scene, and I'm just like, oh, this is neat. They're using this iconic shit in a new way. Kind of like the TIE fighters flying on the horizon, yeah. you know, with the sun. Man, the potential, the possibilities. Putting the dish on the Death Star, letting you know, like, this is when it takes place. Yeah. And Well, know. I know for a fact that Darth Vader has a role in this movie. Yeah, I've heard that. I'm really hoping, number one... If they would have showed him, that would have maybe, like, pushed probably, me over the edge. Prob- I, but don't get me wrong. I'm making it sound like I was underwhelmed by it. That's not the case at all. I wasn't like I was with Force Awakens. Now it's kind of like that magic happened. 
It's kind of like the Avengers. They're all together. This is amazing. And then Avengers 2 came around. You're like, okay, cool. Well, let me come to that point. I, I made it early before I got distracted and started talking about my thoughts on the movie. When you say that you're not excited about it, I think that is because now we're going to be getting more of these movies. Yeah, yeah. The thrill of it is gone. I mean, it was, what, 16 years since we got episode one when The Force Awakens, Awakens yeah. came out? Like. J.J. Abrams has started the drill. Yeah, and now it's it was 16 years between Episode One and Return of the Jedi. Yeah. So like now we don't have that anymore. Now it's not going to feel like a unique event. Even the prequel movies, after we saw Episode One or Episode Two and Episode Three, like we were excited when they were coming out. We wanted to see them, and we wanted to see The Force Awakens. But now that we're going to be getting them every year, yeah, some of that thrill and anticipation is going to be gone now on the other side of that though is that we're going to be getting star wars every year yeah something i said on facebook was that whether this movie is good or not the shit that it pilfers from the classic trilogy is going to be awesome yeah seeing the walkers seeing actual legitimate stormtroopers seeing darth vader yeah seeing tie fighters not new we not, didn't see darth vader did we no he wasn't not in the, in the trailer, trailer but okay. he's going to be in the movie okay. i know for a fact the james earl jones movie. that's the thing i'm wondering i hope that they have james earl jones eventually going into the studio to record some dialogue well, um, i mean they got him for um rebels did they yeah yeah he was cool. darth vader in rebels oh that's awesome mm-hmm. but uh all the shit that they're gonna be like looting from the classic trilogy is it's going to be cool no matter what you're not going to say oh those walkers are awful that's going to be awesome i think that'll still be cool and i think there'll be enough of a spectacle there that we're going to enjoy it it's going to be a different type of movie i can already tell that it's going to be probably not going to be like john williams music or nothing no it's i'm sure it's not and i'm okay with that yeah i'm perfectly fine with them it takes place in the universe we know yeah, you know. creating a different score, creating a different feel. I think that the movie should have a different tone and a different yeah. feel. The only thing... Uh, she's, uh, she's Ray's daughter, Ray's Ray's mother. Ray's you know? mother, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's the fan that's theory. The, right? uh... <laughs> Shut okay, up, she internet. She has to be. Shut the fuck up. I don't think this is going to be connected to the saga at all, except in the fact that they're stealing the Death Star plans. In yeah. fact, I wouldn't be surprised if most of these characters get killed by the end of this movie. Well, many Bothans died to bring us... This... Well, that's the second Death Star. <laughs> It. They're going to be sneaking onto the Death Star and stealing the plans. It's a shame because they're so racially diverse. You know, it's like. Well, that was the next point I was going to bring <laughs> up. And Disney even came out and admitted that feminine empowerment was a focus of the casting for the new Star Wars movies. Yeah. And I'm not really comfortable with Disney admitting uh, gynocentrism, to be honest. I'm, I'm really not. Like, I. Unfortunately, this may be a controversial opinion. I see that as like a very cynical form of tokenism. They're taking advantage of the useful idiots. They're like, hey, you know what? How do we get feminists to see this movie? How do we get minorities to see this movie? Yeah. It goes back to what Plinkett said with casting uh, uh, Samuel Jackson as Mace Windu. He's like, okay, you know, I know it's not popular. I'm just going to say it. Black people don't like Star Wars. <laughs> when he said that, it made all the sense in the world to me. It wasn't about casting the best guy for the job, although Samuel Jackson is a very talented actor. Because when you cast a guy like Samuel Jackson, but you don't allow him to be charismatic in the movie yeah why are you casting him yeah yeah the only time mace windu screamed is when he got thrown out of a window with the greatest line read ever no <laughs> no no 
I like when Anakin's like, I think the Emperor may be a Sith Lord. And he's like, a, a Sith, Sith Lord? Lord? And then they just keep walking. <laughs> like, it's, you know... We like, must we must hurry. Walk. Like they just found out that the star player of their favorite athletics team has been injured and he's out for the season. They're like, oh, a Sith Lord? Well, that really sucks. Yeah. We only have this much green screen, so we can't run. Right. I see it as a very cynical form of tokenism. Like, you know, we, we wanted to make sure that women were cast in prominent roles in these movies. Like, why? Yeah. Why do you have to do that? What's the point of doing that? Just yeah. cast the best possible person you can for the role. Yeah. Black, white, red, yellow. I don't give a shit. Yeah, I'm like, not worried about it. I just want somebody who's believable. This was believable because that actor made it believable. Right. I don't care who they are or what they... Just when I saw it, I was like, ah, I'm watching the Rogue One trailer. Might as well be the original Enterprise crew here. You got your, uh, you got your Asian guy. Like Everybody's in there. You know. But, the but in the Star Trek's defense... And I think you know this, and I think you agree with this. The purpose of that was to show – see, back then – A bright future. A bright future because back then in the 60s, right around or right before the civil rights movement. Yeah, yeah. That was topical. We're all one people now. And controversial know. and difficult. The studio was like, oh, we can't. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think what William Shatner and Nichelle Nichols had the first um, – the interracial, interracial kiss, kiss yeah, yeah. in television history, <laughs> That's right. which is really fucking cool. Yeah. Now it's being done for kind of – they're taking advantage of the useful idiots. Yeah. You know, like, oh, all these people that are champions of these causes are now going to say good okay. things about the movie. I can't tell you all the articles that came out when Force Awakens came out. I was like, oh, look, you know, it's the Fempire Strikes Back. Women are, <laughs> women are prominent in Star Wars. Princess Leia may have been the only woman in Star Wars, but she was one of the three most prominent characters. Yeah. She might be the most memorable character of the three yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. So you can't say that Star Wars has never been like, okay, yeah, maybe it was a sausage fest until Mon Mothma came along and she's such a bit character. She doesn't even matter. Right. Princess Leia is such a force in those movies that I think she stands up well enough for women. And Lucas wasn't trying to do that. He just wanted a strong female character yeah. in that role. For You're Disney. never going to see Rey in like a slave bikini though. No. That's not going to No, happen. the character will never be compromised like that. And that's fine. She doesn't have to be, but you know it's going to be mandated by Disney. And I, I see those things as creatively limiting. The character that is in the lead of this movie has to be a, a female, has to be a woman. Well, why can't it be a guy? Yeah. You know, what if there's a guy out there that's a better actor that could portray this role and the nuances of the character in a better fashion? Wouldn't you want the best possible performance? Championing these causes is just like everything else for Disney. To me, I see it as very cynical tokenism and it's marketing and it's designed to get people buzzing about the movie and it's designed to get people to go and spend money on the movie. It has nothing to do with... Just making a good movie. Yeah. That it's a good movie is beside the point as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I don't want to turn this into a controversy or I don't, you know, but I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to ask a question. Is this whole equality thing, is this a fad? Are we going to eventually move past this and get back to actual movie making again? Or is this something that we're going to be dealing with? And I don't want to sound insensitive when I say that because... I believe in equality, but I don't believe it belongs like 
in cinema right now? It's like there are better places to be championing these causes. Well, that's that's one of the arguments that the people that are opponents of these types of social justice causes will argue is that, you know, you're spending your time complaining about movies and comic books yeah. and music and TV shows. Save but it for the real world. That's the thing that they'll say. You want to criticize pop culture and art, but... Meanwhile, in Saudi Arabia, women have to wear burqas yeah. and they're not allowed to drive and that kind of stuff. You know, yeah. like there are prominent uh, media critics that are generating $200,000 worth of crowdfunded money in order to make a five part video series about real women in history. Yeah. What about a $200,000 crowdfunding campaign to provide relief for women? suffering in third world countries that need help. That's kind of the argument that will be made that the media isn't going to talk about right now. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to make it like an all serious and controversial thing either, right. but the truth of cinema is that just like the truth of video games, just like the truth of anything else is that there are plenty of examples of diversity and there are plenty of examples of inclusion in film throughout the course of history. Mm -hmm. And for them to be pretending that star Wars, the Force awakens is in any way meaningful for that reason, that's just Disney cashing in on that, <laughs> yeah, on, yeah. on the mania right now. I'm not against it. I just want the best possible thing that I can get. Yeah, and, and if you we were limiting ourselves to a gender or race, it's like, well, I don't know. That doesn't necessarily mean you aren't casting the best person, but open the door right. and let everybody audition for the role. It's like we're putting in a mandate before we even put pen to paper to write this movie. We want a black guy in this role and we want an Asian guy in this role. Yeah. We want a female in this role and let some people audition, write a story. It shouldn't matter, you know, well, unless it's like some kind of piece where, you know, we're in certain parts of the world and maybe certain people should be a certain gender, uh, not gender, uh, a certain race because we're filming in this part of the world. So everybody should be Asian or we're, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. That would, that makes more sense than just saying it off the cuff because we want to fill these demographics and we want gender equality and we want all these things. I don't see it as championing a cause. I think championing a cause is the byproduct of what mega corporations like Disney really want. Yeah, yeah. That's just that's just the shine they can put on it is that we're championing a cause. Whatever happens with Rogue One, if it's good, it's going to be good. If it's yeah. bad, it's going to be bad. It's not ultimately going to have anything to do with the cast. It's not like I'm going to watch Rogue One and if it's bad, I'm going to be like, oh, man. Why'd they cast Felicity Jones? Wasn't there a white man that could have done this job better? I'm not going to think that. I yeah. am going to say that I thought her dialogue when she was being interrogated by Mon Mothma was really fucking action hero douchey. Oh, yeah. This is a rebellion, isn't it? I rebel. I rebel. Don't you want Mon Mothma to be the person in, in the position of authority? They're like... Yeah, she just kind of gives an eye roll to that. Yeah, like of. her being an aggressive character in the trailer. Like, don't we already have enough of that kind of shit in movies now? Mm. It's kind of like the thing with Jessica Jones. Yeah. If you make your character irritating, you're not giving her much of a chance with me. Unless there's an arc. Right. Well, it could also be the fact she was brought in there in binders. So it's like maybe she's just acting that way because she's a prisoner yeah. and she's just being... Being a bitch because she's pissed off that she got captured. Exactly. She's not I got willing, caught this time. She's not willing to be cooperative yeah. because she's not in a position of strength or equality yeah. with the people that have her. That could very well be the case. Yeah. And Felicity Jones is a very good actress. I like her, you know, so I have no problem with her. She's charismatic. She's athletic. She has a certain look. She's she has got, a certain look like she could be Ray's mom. 
or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know that Star Wars could be classified as a young adult storytelling, and it is. Yeah. But I don't want this to be like the Hunger Games, you know, Katniss Everdeen and oh, Star boy. Wars. I don't want that. Yeah. You know? We've already got enough of that. Yeah. We don't need don't... Star Wars young adult novels. Well, they exist. No, no, I'm saying on the screen. We yeah, don't need uh, young adult novels translated. Yeah, I don't the want screen. The Hunger Games, a Star Wars story. I don't want Divergent, a Star Wars story. I don't want those things. Don't just duplicate that. The Force Awakens was basically following a formula. Yeah. So we'll see whether or not Rogue One follows a formula. Yeah. You know? and one of the interesting things that I saw in the extras of the Blu-ray, going back to that, was uh, them sitting around doing the table read. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's, I, that's wish the one was, I really want to watch. Yeah, I would wish that was longer, but it was real short, too. The cool thing about it was that he had Mark Hamill read the... Like, normally the director reads the script, and then everybody reads their lines. But in this case, J.J.'s like, I want to watch everybody. It was Mark Hamill reading it. I thought that was kind of neat. It made it like more cool to them and to me, too. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed that. Speaking of Mark Hamill, did you see the uh, the picture he tweeted of him on uh, Daisy Ridley's back. <laughs> yes. I think they're giving a hint that he's going to be training her. Yeah, that was like fun. the Yoda Luke thing. Yeah, that so. was very cool. I liked that picture a lot. Yeah, I liked it too. Yeah, I'm sure if you're on Facebook, you've you've seen it. I didn't see it on Facebook. I saw it on, I can't remember what site I saw it on. I saw it on a website, something. In my, it was in my RSS feed. My buddy, I'm not going to say his name. Fuck it, his name's Coop. He said, oh, why are they wearing black? Like, don't turn this into a fucking conspiracy, man. <laughs> They were in black because those are their street clothes. Yeah, exactly. Although you could argue that... A Sith Lord. <laughs> and then Daisy Ridley just carries him off at a leisurely pace. Yeah, it just walks because they ran out of green screen. Maybe he was pointing at a Sith Lord. Well, and then yeah. they just walked away from him. Right, right. We'll just get to him whenever. Yeah. We've got things to do. But we will get Our to food's him. It's getting cold. Yes, but we will get to him. And we'll do a, uh, a fight with a lot of flips. And I saw a headline... <laughs> I'm going to read you this headline. You okay. ready? All right, I'm ready. Ready. Headline from a news story that I read. Indiana Jones 5 gets Kingdom of the Crystal Skull writer. Your reaction? Are they trying to make us hate the movie? <laughs> it's clear to me they're trying to distance Star Wars from the prequels. Why wouldn't they not try to distance Indiana Jones from Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? I'll tell you what my reaction was. I laughed out loud for about... 30 seconds straight. I don't go to websites. I have an RSS feed. I put everything that I'm interested in my RSS feed. I'm flipping through my RSS feed. And I read it. And I like flipped. And I read it. And then I flipped again. And then I flipped back. (laughs) I was like, wait, what? (laughs) You can't say that everybody that was involved with the production of that movie was bad at what they were doing. I think that the bigger problem is that the two people in charge of it are just different people than what they were. Yeah. Back then. I think it was in that Mr. Plinkett thing where he showed like some of the behind the scenes stuff where Steven Spielberg was like, well, George wanted to do it this way. And I was like, fine, fine. (laughs) As if to say like for years he'd been telling George no. And now, you know, I'm like 65 years old. So do whatever you want, man. I'm tired of arguing with you. I interpret it as though their perception of what makes a quote unquote fun adventure has just changed over time. That sentence said to me so many things. It said, for years, I have been casting aside his shitty ideas in favor of my own good ideas and making three good movies, despite his meddling. And now I'm just really old, and I'm sick of arguing with him. So 
do whatever you want, and now we have this shit pile. Although I would argue that I think some of the shitty ideas started to creep through in The Last Crusade. Oh, sure. I think that that movie... Last Crusade and Jedi have a lot of similarities. <laughs> yeah, well, Last Crusade to me is such a cartoon anyway. Yeah. Temple of Doom has a lot of cartoonish elements to it, but I think that the story is so dark and sinister that yeah. I think it balances it very well. That movie gets... It's unfairly derided. I, I think it's a pretty good Indiana Jones movie. I love the second one. I don't understand why people don't yeah, like it. I don't. Whatever. The only thing I don't like about the movie, and it's not that I don't like it, it's just that I think she doesn't work as well as Willie Scott does mm. not work as well as Marion Ravenwood. Yeah. You watch all those movies, and I, I try to ignore what she turned into in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, but Marion Ravenwood in Raiders is the perfect woman for Indiana Jones. Right, right. At that time. You will never find a better match for him than her at that point in time in that movie. Right. Willie Scott just... She was the woman. Yeah, yeah. She was just the female in the movie. Although I will say that Temple of Doom has my favorite opening out of any of the movies. Yeah. Anything goes in Chinese. It's such a fucking cool opening. It's such a great way to open yeah. a movie. Yeah. But Willie Scott doesn't add anything to the movie. She doesn't take anything away from it, but she doesn't add anything. Yeah. But if you take Marion away from Raiders of the Lost Ark, you lose so much chemistry that the film loses a lot of its natural charm. Yeah. I mean, it's not just her presence. It's the way that she plays off of Harrison Ford and the way Harrison Ford plays off of Karen Allen. Just the way that they did yeah. it is, like, perfect. And I, I, I love the fact that she's not classically attractive by Hollywood standards. She's mm -hmm. almost like a tomboy. Yeah. Karen Allen is just perfect for that role. She's so unconventional. Yeah. Now, yeah. not. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah not no, so much now. Well, I think that the Plinkett review where it says, like, they've got nothing for her to do but drive the truck. Go back to the toll booth. <laughs> I wonder if that was a real picture of her. I don't know. <laughs> it would be funny. Oh, uh, I'd feel bad for her. She doesn't deserve that. She's only in, like, probably the greatest... No, the best-looking one was, uh, what's her name? Uh, the third one. Um, Alison Duty. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. As uh, uh, the yeah, the German... I remember Alison Duty. I don't remember what her name was in the movie. Elsa me... something. Schneider or something? Elsa Schneider? Yeah, I think Is it so. Something? Yeah. yeah. If we're wrong, tell us. Yeah. And we won't care. At least she was more interesting than Marion. Or not Marion. She was more interesting than Willie Scott. Yeah, like, yeah. There was actually some interplay going on between her and Harrison Ford. I don't think necessarily that they had really great chemistry, but the characters were interesting. Yeah, yeah. But Harrison Ford just had fantastic chemistry with Karen Allen. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. unbelievable chemistry with her. And it's funny, too, because um, like Harrison Ford, he's a really good actor. And here's why. When you see him in real life, he looks like a confused old man. I think he totally plays it up. You ever watch him on, a, on like a late night talk show? Yeah, it's uncomfortable, man. Yeah. Like he just he is so uncooperative and he's yeah. constantly squirming and he's not talking, or uh, answering uh, any uh, questions. But the thing uh, is, uh, but if it you, looks like it's like a uh, yeah. It just but like but then when he's him, you know he dove right back into Indiana Jones, man, I, and he dove right back into Han Solo. I told you before, there's that scene in The Force Awakens. Where he's like, come on, Chewie! Exactly like he did it. When he does promotional stuff for the Indiana Jones movies, yeah. watch him. He's actually really personable and engaging, and he knows how to speak to the camera, and he knows how to talk to the audience. But then he goes on to these talk shows, and I think it's just a big troll. I legit think it's a big <laughs> fucking troll. Seriously, I'm not... I think he does I it on purpose. I don't know, but then he does a good job. Uh, then he I, is a better actor than even I imagine I, he is. I, I totally think it's just him shitting all over the entire marketing 
aspect of a movie, going and doing the talk show circuit, doing interviews. And just being like, <laughs> When he was at San Diego Comic-Con the year before Force Awakens, that, that summer prior to Force Awakens coming out, he came out. He, he was there with Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher and all the actors of the movie and stuff like Harrison Ford doesn't attend those shows. Yeah, yeah. But he was there and he was actually personable and he was actually really interesting to listen to. I like the answer to the question. Like somebody asked him, what would Han Solo say to Indiana Jones? And he's like, Hello? <laughs> that was pretty funny. <laughs> I love when uh, those Comic-Con panels or, you know, any any of that stuff where the actors, like, have contempt for the audience members' questions. I love that. Shatner's great at those things, man. Shatner and uh, I saw one with uh, Shatner and uh, Patrick Stewart together. Uh-huh. And they're like a fucking stand-up comedy act, man. They are hysterical. You know who else is really good together is um, Brent Spiner and LeVar Burton. Yeah. I've actually seen them live. Okay. Because, you know, I go to Comic-Cons every once in a while, and whenever they're on stage together, they're really entertaining. I actually had a chance to shake hands and have a photo with Shatner. What famous people have you met? I mean, none of them are are the caliber of Robert Zadar, I know, but... I wouldn't even need to live after that. I'd just go back to the hotel and shoot myself. I I have a friend who, uh, who met Robert Zadar. If you don't know who he is, I'm not explaining it. You have to keep up. But my friend met him. And he said, oh, dude, I loved you in... What's the movie he's famous for? Um, uh, Soul Taker. No, come on. The, the one with the Robert Zadar, he's known for... Maniac Cop's the one he's actually... I thought your friend said you were awesome in Soul Taker. You were awesome in... Was it Soul Taker or, or, or Maniac Cop or one of those that he was in? Yeah, that's a great kid. <laughs> Just like gave him like this half-hearted answer. Like, you're Robert Zadar. You're not fucking Harrison Ford. <laughs> Well, let's see. I have met a number of famous people because I've gone to conventions. Yeah. I remember I was blown away when you told me you met Kevin Simbeda, the guy that writes the Robotech books. Oh, yeah. I man. was blown away by that Like when uh, I first actually, met you. Because we, we, you and I, not together, but separately, have played the Robotech tabletop role-playing game. And one of the first things that came up when, we, when I first met you was, the you know, oh, I played the Robotech tabletop game, meeting somebody else that had done that. You played Robotech too? Oh yeah, you like played it off like it was no big deal. Yeah, I even went to a, some convention and met Kevin Zimbata and I was like, Bah-bah. I talk to him every year when I go to Gen Con. I mean, I don't like sit down and have dinner with him or anything like that. But you know, when I go there, he recognizes me and we shake hands and we're like, "How you doing this year? How's business?" That kind of thing. And I always buy something from the Palladium booth, yeah, even if I don't need it. Like, I, even if it's just like the coffee, latest uh, Rifts coffee. supplement. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have enough room in my house. <laughs> But uh, I'll buy something. Like last year, I bought a bunch of stuff for the Robotech Tactics RPG, like a bunch of... Oh, that's right, yeah. I bought like extra dice and some measuring tapes with Zentradi and RDF symbols on them and stuff like that. Cool. But uh, I always try to throw a little money at them every year because Palladium had a really rough stretch of years. They almost went bankrupt. It was some fucking internal skullduggery where this guy like made off with thousands of dollars of profits from the books. (laughs) That's crazy. It's a whole thing, and they almost didn't survive. Palladium is the longest running playing game company in the industry now they've been around over 30 years more so than uh D. well see tsr doesn't exist anymore who doesn't who owns them now wizards of the coast owns dungeons oh. and dragons now wizards of the coast owns all their properties okay. but it's a different company okay they're not the same they're company. not the original guys so okay. yeah so <laughs> the original guys who did Palladium, they're still, still doing around, it. Still I mean, doing it. a lot of the staff has changed, but Kevin's still running the show. I'd classify him as famous within the hobby, but I'm, to me that counts, though, because to me he's you know he's well, famous. I mean, if you want to go there, I've met Gary Gygax, oh, and yeah. Dave Arneson, both of the creators of Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, yeah. 
uh, numerous times. Uh, Tracy Hickman and Margaret Weiss, who wrote Dragonlance. Yeah. Uh, R.A. Salvatore, who created Dritt Stewart, and who's like one of not only the most popular character in the Forgotten Realms line of D&D novels, but probably one of the 25 most popular fantasy characters in all of fantasy fiction. Yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no two ways about it. If you read the, if you read fantasy fiction, you know who Dritt Stewart is. Um, Ed Greenwood, who created the Forgotten Realms. I mean, the list goes on and on of like people in that industry I've met. But I mean, if you're talking about like other famous people, I've met uh, Sean Astin. Oh, cool. Um, How'd that happen? Uh, he was at Gen Con one year. Okay. So you just meet a lot of people at Gen Con. Yeah, then. you just go and you talk to them and stuff, and you know you go to their table. Uh, now, what's yeah? I guess we have to clarify, like meeting him. Just yeah, like, it's not like it's not like I went to some after party and you know we hung out and did lines or anything. <laughs> just you know, it's just because that's what you do when you hang out with Hollywood right, people, right? You know, it's just you go to a convention and you know if they're walking by, you say hi or yeah, yeah. I mean, when I met Shatner, it wasn't like we sat down and had lunch. You I, uh, shake his hand, you take a picture, right? Like, say nice that, to meet that you. That sort of thing. Yeah. You talk a little bit. Some are more personable than others. I uh, not only met Richard Garriott, creator of Ultima. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I actually play-tested the Ultima Tabletop RPG with Lord British. Oh, jeez. They were actually play-testing an RPG, and he actually played his character. He played Lord British. <laughs> That's awesome. In the RPG. So I hung out with him for like five hours. I met Timothy Zahn, who wrote Heir to the Empire, which was the first of the Star Wars novels that sort of revived the whole franchise and showed that and Dark Empire from Dark Horse Comics were the two that showed Lucas from, oh, man, people still care about this. Yeah. The one that you remember, the one that you always laugh about is when I met Mark Singer. <laughs> because ah, Yes, I'm so glad that came up. I would have forgotten. I wasn't even talking to Mark Singer. That's right. The guy I was talking to was Ken Foree, who played Peter, who <laughs> was the, uh, the black policeman from Dawn of the Dead, the original one. Yes. Ken Foree is... Hands down, one of the coolest motherfuckers in that I've ever met in terms of like those stars. So awesome, so personable, so much fun, giving me all kinds of recommendations of like zombie films to watch and stuff like that. He plugged Shaun of the Dead for me before it had been released in the States. Oh, wow. He was like, You got to check out Shaun of the Dead. It's a really great movie. You're really going to like it. In fact, I bought it at that same convention. It had come out in England, but it hadn't come out in the States yet. Yeah. I bought a British bootleg of it. Just to check it out. Just be on his recommendation. Yeah. I fucking loved it. Yeah. It was great. Probably a movie that might be more up my alley than any other movie I can think of yeah. is Shaun of the Dead. Mm -hmm. While I was talking to Ken Faree, I hear this guy say, hey, how you doing? And I look over and it's fucking Mark Singer, the Beastmaster <laughs> himself. Mike like, Donovan. Hey, how are you? He's like, uh, you enjoying the convention? And I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm That's the part I love, the voice. Well, why don't you come on by and check out the merchandise? So I look at a couple of the pictures and I'm like, "All right, thanks. You know, I, I might be back." And How thought, uncomfortable, man! Well, that's the thing. It's like you made me so fucking uncomfortable. You know, look, I understand you're here to make money, dude, but just to see this guy that you've seen in like V and the, you know you're the Beastmaster. To most people, it's like B crap, but to us, you know, it's cool shit. I know, but and to... then like to see him, like he was the main character in V, and he was Beastmaster, and he was these things, and now to be reduced to like 
Well, yeah. What's like pilfering his merchandise off? And yeah. These, uh, like, what's next? Is he going to go out at like two o'clock in the morning and like give blowjobs for five spots or something? It was sad. Do you remember? I, I, um, no, I want to say that I don't have any ire for Mark Singer. But no, no. He made me uncomfortable. Right, dude. If I care about you, I'll come to your table and look at shit. The fact that he wasn't just sitting at his table waiting for people to come to him. And it was going to happen. People were going to visit him. Yeah. It was inevitable. He didn't need to do that. If he would have done to me what he did to you, yes, I would have also been uncomfortable. But it's cool to meet you. I'm not buying any of your shit. I, I really enjoyed, like, you entertained me. And I, you know, I appreciate that. And I appreciate your work. I met David Prowse. Nice. And it was great listening to him talk shit about George Lucas for 20 minutes. Nice. Just ask him about his experiences as Darth Vader and just watch him go, man. He will just fucking complain about how limited his access has been to the franchise since then and how angry he is about the fact that they didn't use his voice as Darth Vader. Yeah. And He will just go on and on about how much he's been shat on. I don't even know if he's alive anymore, but yeah, I'm not I don't know. Well, but, you didn't uh, even know if David Warner was alive, so yeah. We can't count on you for knowing well, people's death dates. Yeah, I'm no longer uh, engaging in that particular discourse. <laughs> I'm just saying the people I've met now. Yeah. Last one I'll tell you about is Peter Mayhew, uh, Motor City Comic Con. Yeah. We are getting in line to get our Chewbacca figures autographed by Peter Mayhew. And I don't remember who was with me. He has this figure to Peter Mayhew and he's like, I want you to sign this as a, uh, hi, Matt. I'm going to rip your arms off. <laughs> <laughs> and Peter Mayhew just looks at him and he goes, I'm not writing that. <laughs> He had disdain for the guys. Like, no, you got to write. I'm going to tear your arms off. <laughs> tear your arms out of your sockets. Well, you know, more... he said, "Tear your arms off." <laughs> okay. And he's like, "I'm not. I'm not going to write that." That's so funny. Oh my god. I don't have I've, any good stories like that. About I've the met more I've famous people. Yeah, but those are just the the ones that the highlights. The highlights. The ones that come to mind. <clears throat> yeah, we've been to a lot of Star Trek conventions. So it's like Shatner. Um, Jonathan Frakes, who else? Oh, there's a really sad story about um, a Star Trek Voyager. Well, that's a sad story in itself, but... Um, I walked by on a visitor. At, oh, yeah? Uh, well, you at the uh, Consumer Electronics Show we went to. That's right. No, the, uh, was that? No, that was CES. That's that was CES. before E3. Yeah, yeah, we went to those CES shows She's back so then. She's so fine. Yeah. She yeah. was so fine back then. She looks good now. Anyway, so go on and tell your story. Um, I forgot. What story was I telling? Uh, you were telling a story about... You were saying... Um, Oh, a sad story about Star Trek. Voyager. Yeah, Voyager. thank you. Thank you. Now I'm back oh, on that, track. Oh, that it sucked? Yeah, I got derailed. So yeah, that was a sad story. Do you remember anything about that show? Did you watch it at all? Do you know anything? Well, if you remember, we tried to watch it. Yeah. We were getting together. That's when we came up with our Tuvok Shakur joke. <laughs> so we, we tried to watch it at the beginning. The show that launched a fucking network, man. UPN. Yeah, was that UPN? That big night. The UPN is Were launching you, and Voyager is launching. Did you come over and hang out with us when we watched it at the premiere episode? No, was it Enterprise we watched at Rich's yeah, yeah, house? Yeah, You were there yeah. for that? I think so. I, I think. think. No. no, Voyager we tried watching. Yeah. And I just lost no, interest. No, yeah, it sucked. Later on in the series, they ran into, they were running into, into the Borg a lot more. Because they were stranded in the Delta Quadrant, which is where the Borg are from. So as they got further along closer to home they were getting closer to borg territory they were running into a lot more borg and there was this one point in the series where there were some orphaned borg kids does that even make any sense no i'm not turning this into that let's just blow right past whether that makes sense or not we both know it doesn't and say there was these four borg kids living on voyager that were recurring characters okay that's a thing that happened for a while 
they were recurring characters. They had like little implants still in them and stuff, but they were disconnected from the collective and everything and they had nowhere else to go so they said well you can live on the ship with us because where else are you going to go what who else is going to take care of you it's like star trek's equivalent of cousin oliver just that sounds fucking awful yeah rick berman at his best which is why i maintain the reason that deep space nine was such a good show because rick berman was over there busy making Voyager a fucking... And funny that you mention that because I'm willing to guess that that's why Clone Wars is so much better than the prequel trilogy is because even though George Lucas is the executive producer... He didn't have nothing to do with it. He had nothing to do with it. No. Maybe... maybe he never the, even watched it. Maybe... <laughs> maybe kidding? the movie. Yeah. Maybe Because I know he was heavily promoting the movie, which is like the worst thing about the show. Yeah. That movie sucked. That's really But uh, yeah, it's because Rick Berman was busy... Turning Voyager into a turd sandwich. Deep Space Nine was under the direction of this other guy, Ira Bear, who made it. God, Voyager had board kids on it? Yes, now. That makes no fucking sense. Exactly. So, the whole thing is, I went to this one convention, and one of the board kids... I don't even have to tell the story now. <laughs> I have. I have. Oh, deep breath, Tom. Deep breath. <laughs> I have Whew. an innate understanding of this because I've gone to so many nerd center conventions that I have seen appearances by ancillary characters from all kinds of TV shows and movies. Yeah. So you know where this is going. I, yeah, it's like, here's the actress that played, um, who's the blue-skinned Jedi? The, the girl, Ayla Secura. Oh, yeah, there You've you got go. the actress that played Ayla Secura. You <clears throat> mean yeah. like the person that walked past the screen? As, and got shot. And got shot as Ayla Secura. She's hot. Yeah, yeah. And we have the actress that played Barisafi. Who, what? Who cares? <laughs> doesn't, yeah. Show anyway, me somebody so, with a speaking role. Yeah, show me somebody that actually matters to the story. But anyway, yeah. you could so, argue well, the board kids matter to the story. You, no, dude, you want to talk about an ancillary character, man. We're talking about Star Trek Voyager, first of all. Yeah. Then we're talking about these one of these fucking board kids. Okay, so one of, the board, one of the board kids is at this convention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, go on. So, we're at, you know. At the, Was this the, a video game swap meet? It might as well have been. <laughs> So the 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 kids there. It was um, I don't remember who was the headliner at this at this particular Star Trek con, but it was the auction time. We're going to auction off these items from Star Trek. Okay, here's a tapestry worn by this character in this episode. How much for the? You know, we watched the auction and we just kind of you know we're in the back of the room. Now they didn't have like the Curlin Nescar or anything like that. Right. Well, because it got broken. Right, exactly. <laughs> but but they had all these different items from Star Trek history. Well, then all of a sudden here's so and so. They had his name. I don't. They remember. auctioned him off, didn't they? Not they, not he, him. He needs a home. Well, he came up on stage and it was like the saddest thing to watch. This is the sad part of the story. He's like, uh, I've got the script from uh, one of the episodes I was in and uh, I signed it. And uh, you know, anybody. Uh, Thirty dollars? Any takers? Oh my! Anything? God. <laughs> it's just like, oh, 
Did anybody buy it? We're like, I, you know, I don't remember. I think we like walked away because it was like just so painful. Yeah, to watch. you just you didn't want to see. Yeah, it's like that me, plane crash yeah, to the ground. It's me and my wife, and I believe is my buddy Coop may may or may not have been at that one. But uh, yeah, we were just like, this is so fucking That's pathetic. So it's <laughs> so sad to watch, man. I remember when I was working at a bakery in my hometown. This would have been about twenty years ago. I uh, had to deliver a cake to a local like college baseball game at Lewis University okay. because Butch Patrick was appearing there. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> Which, if you uh, don't know, Matt Sinsvengoli at the subway, <laughs> uh, Eddie Munster from the that's Munsters. That's right. Yeah. So, like, that's his claim to fame. Speaking of it's old TV cool, shows, actually, yeah, you know, but the the Butch Patrick is having a cake baked for him. Wow! So you delivered the cake to Butch Patrick? I didn't deliver it directly to him. No, he, Did you, you see know, him? He's a, no, he's a fucking A-lister, man. I, I couldn't get close to Butch Patrick, but at least I could deliver his cake. Isn't that crazy that he's an A-lister for wherever yeah. he was at? Probably my crowning achievement, though, was uh, you missed out on this one. This was when we went to the Play Symphony, the video game man, concert. we weren't really, for whatever reason, we weren't really talking or hanging out. It wasn't like an acrimonious thing. We just... Yeah. I think you were still relatively new to the fatherhood thing, and you were really invested in that at the time. And you it wasn't that like, recent though, two thousand six. Well, I mean, th- oh, then it was well before your. It was father, before right? all that. Yeah, I don't know what happened then. Two thousand six. Um, but anyway, we I were- remember inviting you, but you, yeah, you had something was happening or something, or you, you. Did, I don't think you realized. The magnitude, the of, the magnitude of what yeah. was about I, I, to happen. Now, if that ever happened again, you I would be. Yeah, I know. There. And, and not even a question. Yeah, I don't think you realized what was going on. But it was a video game concert that took place in 2006. It was the first of its kind. They were going to do a whole bunch of them in mean, all these different cities all over the world. But the first one, we just got really lucky. It happened to be in Chicago. And uh, we're like, we're going to go to this. So it was me and Duckhead and um, uh, Scott. So... It was after Gaming FM, or after okay. you for, were out of Gaming FM, because yeah. that you, you were gone by the time Scott well, came yeah. in. You were and let's like, clarify, I left. I wasn't gone. Yeah. yeah so, so you were, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was uh, that like transition where you were not going to the meetings, not hanging out with us as much. Me and Duckhead Scott go there, and uh, they're like, for 75 bucks more, meet and greet after the show. And because this was the premiere show... They had all of the composers there. They weren't going to be at all the other shows. They were only going to be at this show because this is a premiere show. They would do a song. They'd be like, okay, we're going to do some Final Fantasy song, whatever. This is by Nobu Uematsu. And he's in the audience! Hey! And then he would stand up. And I don't know how we did it. We were in the fucking the orchestra pit. Fucking front and center, man. We were like right there. And the composers were seated in those rows, too. We sat down in our seats. We looked at our tickets. We got our seat. We sat down. And right next to us were seats that said reserved for Koji Kondo and I'm like <laughs> I needed a paper bag and shit I'm just like <laughs> oh my god dude this is fucking insane as it turned out Koji actually performed on stage a solo on a piano the theme from New Super Mario Brothers so that's why he never came to his seat which is probably good for me because I would have probably passed out if he would have like right. he would he would have been there but they're like okay we're going to do a song from Silent Hill now Here's a Kiriyamaoka. Really? He's in the audience, you know, and then he stands up. And he's like, oh, and he's going to uh, perform the electric guitar portion. It's interesting because they're all on stage and they're 
tuxes. And here comes Akira Yamaoka in his fucking rock stoom. I'm not surprised at all. Yeah, he's in his fucking rock stoom with his electric guitar, doing the electric guitar portion. Like, this is pretty fucking cool, man. And you know, that's probably one of the reasons why he didn't do the soundtrack for any of the later games, because he was too much of an individual for Konami. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Speaking of which, apparently they have a new Contra game coming out, and it's a mobile game with uh, microtransactions. Fuck Konami. Thank you. I was about to say it, but... uh, but you, you, you. Uh, you jumped the gun. So, you know, 75 bucks more, meet and greet after the show. So they all sit down at a bunch of tables, and you, all, you just get to go down the line, shake hands with every single one of them. So I got to shake hands with Koji Kondo. Got to shake hands with Yuzo Koshiro. Got to shake hands with Akira Yamaoka. That was all, like, just mind-blowing, the greatest thing that's ever going to happen to me. But the two guys that did the Halo soundtrack, Martin O'Donnell, Michael Salvatore, the two of them were there when they did the Halo soundtrack. They came up on the stage. And they're like, you know, you guys are both here. Let's just have a do a little sample. So they gave the microphone to the two of them. They both sung into the microphone. Oh, <laughs> they did like the part. I like it. Oh, awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. But when I got to them at the table, I was wearing my gaming uh, FM shirt. We're still gaming FM then. So I was wearing my gaming FM shirt. And one of the two of them, I can't remember which one, was like, oh, Gaming FM, cool. Like, they knew who we fucking were. I'm just like, holy shit, man, that's awesome. Jeremy Soule, was it Warcraft? Was that his claim to fame? Yeah, he knew what Gaming FM was. So, like, a lot of the American composers knew who we were. And we were just, like, blown away by that. We were like, I can't believe this, man. This is is crazy. And I have uh, my prized, you've seen it over there, my prized poster. Yeah. And the program. I had had the poster and the program both signed by every single one of the people. So it's just really cool to see, like, all the American names on it, but also all the Japanese names on it, too. And then that night, after meeting all of the the composers and everybody and shaking hands with everybody, this is uh, when we went to E3. This was before the concert. We went to E3. Me and Duckhead went to E3. Me and uh, Duckhead and Dillip. Went to E3. Was this the uh, year that he spilled the pop on your? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, uh, yeah. We'll we'll tell that story in a second. We went to E3 to promote Gaming FM, and while we were at E3, there's a group that that still exists, founded by uh, Tommy Tellerico, called the Game Audio Network Guild, and we used to go to their meetings. Did you ever go to any of the meetings with us in Chicago? No. Well, we would go periodically to these meetings of the Game Audio Network Guild. I, I think the reason why is I didn't go is because I was opposed to paying the dues. Yeah, it was. Is a little bogus, but yeah, it's nothing. I'm not saying anything bad about Tommy Tallarico or any of the things that they're doing. I just thought having to pay to be a part of that organization at that point in time yeah, yeah, in yeah, my yeah. life, I was like, this doesn't make sense to me. Why am I giving them money yeah. to be a part of? Their I mean, we're group? all we're but all like going not, to the same goal, trying to legitimize right. game well, soundtracks. Now, now I understand how these things work. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it makes sense to me now. But back then, yeah. I didn't get it, so yeah. I was like opposed to it. And I honestly don't think any of us really understood it. I felt like we're going to give these guys a hundred bucks a year and we're not going to get anything out of it except the right to like promote their brand yeah that was how i looked at it i don't think that's an invalid way to look at it but there were a lot of advantages to being a part of that group that i wasn't aware of yeah there's recognition gaming fm's logo was like on their page networking is really important to succeeding in this world if so you want to do something so we, anyway go ahead. we were uh we were at one a few of these meetings we went to and the thing about the game audio network guild is it was all composers that were trying to legitimize. But so this particular group of composers were dudes based in Chicago. So they'd all get together. One of the dudes that was there was uh, this fellow by the name of Tim Kitzrow. And Tim Kitzrow, I'll quote a game that he's from. He's on fire! Oh, uh, NBA Jam. That's him. He's the guy. Oh, he's the guy. It's his voice. Yeah. So um, I met the guy. And, you know, I'm just 
kind of going around the room talking to all the different people. So what you know, we were there like, you know, they went around the table and said, I'm this guy. I, and like one thing that they did. And then they get to me and I'm like, well, you know, unlike the, everybody else here, um, no musical talent whatsoever. I'm just, you know, an enthusiastic person who likes what you do. I have this radio station. This is what we do. And that was kind of my spiel. When they did the round the table, he never mentioned NBA Jam. So I get to him and I'm like, you know, what, what else, you know, what are some things? And he's like, NBA Jam. I'm like, get the fuck out of here, man. Like, that's you. He's like, yeah, yeah. I was the voiceover in NBA. I'm like, that's so cool, man. Another game he did, there was a game where uh, it was a baseball game. The name escapes me. Maybe you've heard of this. It was Tim Kitzrow. It had like commentators. This base, the video game, baseball game had commentators. I want to say it was like for PS2 or something. One of them was Jim Shorts, Kevin Matthews. Uh-huh. The other one was Tim Kitzrow. Yeah, so no, it was this, like the str- game's not coming to me. Yeah, so I, I don't remember the name of it. The conversation kind of turned into, oh, so you know Kevin Matthews. We got to talking about Kevin Matthews. Kevin Matthews is a big Chicago radio personality, if you don't know who the hell that is. But it was uh, these two guys doing the commentary on this sports game, and I was a big fan of Kevin Matthews' radio show in Chicago when I was younger. So it turned into like that. You know, he's like, oh, he's the nicest guy in the world, blah, blah, blah. And it almost got to the point where we were talking to him about doing some voiceovers for us. Like, would you want to do like some, you know, you're listening to Gaming FM, you know, he was going to do, that would have been so cool mm-hmm. for him to do like those voiceovers for us and stuff. But the reason I started talking about Game Audio Network Guild is because when we went to E3, we went to the big meeting of all the Game Audio Network Guild people and got to hang out with Tommy Tallarico. And this wasn't like, like we were talking about, like where you just shake hands and you got to move. I mean, we sat and like basically had a night with him and hung out with him and talked to him and he, he talked about composing earthworm jim and he talked about composing earthworm jim 2 he talked just like all the techniques of making music on genesis and snes and that's a cool conversation to have yeah. with somebody and we sat down and talked to him for just hours man and then um he had to make the rounds too he had to talk to some other people so he's like well here's my brother i can't remember his brother's name but we talked to his brother and the funny thing about his brother is like tommy was keeping himself very you know he was sober and he was you know this was a night of of drinking and fun and he was keeping himself sober and doing the thing but his brother three sheets to the wind so then mark started drinking with him of course (laughs) and the two of them just like hit it off you know they were having a a good old time oh what a fun night it's just like uh There's some good memories there. It was a a lot of fun. That same night, my plan was we're going to go to E3. We're going to take a bunch of pictures, come to the hotel every night, and we're going to post updates. We're at E3, and here's an update showing what we're going to do. So I have the laptop open. This is where the disaster disaster part of the story. (laughs) So there's two beds. So um, I'm in between. I'm on the floor. I'm like, I'll take the floor. You guys take the beds. So Mark's in one bed, Dillip's in the other bed. There's a table in between. I'm laying, you know, in front of the table on my laptop, starting this update, you know. Dillip's got his drink on the table. So already... Was it Sprite? Yes. So already you know where the story's going. I'm in the middle. There's the soda. Dillip knocks the soda over. This was the first night. The laptop was dead. No saving it. So I'm like, well, I can be pissed off about this, or I can just let it pass because I have to spend two more days with these two fucking assholes. <laughs> we laugh about it, but I felt really bad for Dillip. And you know, he must have felt ter- terrible. Yeah. And I, and you know, it was an accident. Yeah. Oh, totally. Done. Yeah, totally. But and, and that's the thing. It was an accident. It's not like I could be mad. And it, it's not, he wasn't like 
farting around and doing shit in the room. Hey, look at me! And then, like, you know, he just, like, legitimately just, you know, and then, like... And we've it, all done We've that. all done it. Yeah, so. there's... No, I would... I, I didn't hold him any ill will back then or now. It was just one of those things where, wow, I really wanted to do this update. And I also enjoyed owning a laptop. Those, those two <laughs> things... Those two things were, uh, you know, I was looking forward to both of those things, and uh, now neither one of them is going to happen because because this happened. So I'm like, well, I can be pissed off about this, or I can let it pass. No. And, you know, Dilla, 100, 110% ponied up and made well, it yeah, right. Well, yeah, I remember he took out cash against one of his credit cards to buy you a new laptop. Yeah, he, yeah, he, he totally. And that's back when laptops were like 2000 bucks. Yeah. He, now he, you could buy a, like mine, my 19-inch monitor laptop, you could buy that for like 500 bucks. Exactly, now. yeah. Back so, then it was, you know. Back then yeah, it was a lot more expensive. It was different. A much it, different proposition, so. Yeah, but. Yeah, good uh, on him, you know. Yeah, but but it was just one of those things where it's like, well, this happened. <laughs> so Daniel's back home, and he's like, hmm, where's the update? <laughs> It's like a funny story. Uh, are, we, are we all celebrities out now? Yeah. I don't have any. Uh, I've never met anybody else famous in my life. I have one other story I could tell. but Go ahead. Well, uh, it's not a story about me meeting a celebrity, but it's a story about an encounter that I had with a celebrity. Uh-oh. Um, this is uh Encounter uh, doesn't sound as... Uh... No, it's pretty good, actually. Okay. So... Um, one year I go to Gen Con, which in case people don't know, Gen Con is the world's largest tabletop wargaming, board gaming convention of the year. It takes place every year in Indianapolis. Now I think they're up to 50,000 people through the turnstiles per year, Holy which is cow, pretty man. big for a convention. That is that. one stinky convention hall, man. Well, they're not there uh, all the time. They're okay. not. It's like throughout the entire course okay. of the convention. Okay. So um, my friend Jake... Rest in peace, brother. That's right. Oh, my goodness. He yeah. came with me one year, and he's like, man, I need to find uh, – I want to get a book to read. And I'm like, dude, you're at fucking Gen Con. He's got time to read. And he's like, I just – I want to get it. I want to get a book uh, written by Ari Salvatore because he's my favorite author, and I want him to autograph it. And I'm like, okay, fine. That's not a bad thing to want to yeah, do. Yeah. You know, There used to be a Borders in Indianapolis, but Borders had, as a franchise, closed down. Yeah. So they were gone. So mm-hmm. you, we went over to the Borders store. There's no borders there. Now, there was a Barnes & Noble at a college at, at the University of Indianapolis, but it, it was like blocks and blocks and yeah, blocks yeah, yeah. and blocks. So we didn't feel like fucking going there. Yeah. In the exhibit hall, which is where all the money transactions, you know, you, that's where you buy all the loot and stuff. Um, there were a couple of people that were, you know, like bookstores. So we're going there and we're looking for books. Jake says very loudly to the vendor, he's like, uh, do you have any books written by R.A. Salvatore? And this guy walks behind us and he goes, don't buy anything written by him. He's a bum. <laughs> and he keeps just going by. And uh, my friend Jake, he just gets really defensive about it. Yeah. And he turns around like he's going to say something. It's not a, you know, like who fucking cares what somebody thinks. Right? But Jake, like, you know, he loves Ari Salvatore, so he's going to defend him. You yeah. know? So then I turn and I look and I see the guy walking away. I'm like, Jake, stop. And he goes, why? And I'm like, that was Ari Salvatore. <laughs> That's awesome. And how awesome for him, too, to hear, just happen to be strolling by and hear somebody yep. ask for something written by him. Like, oh, yeah, that's a I cool s- feeling. I saw him walking, and he, like, turned down another aisle. And I, I, I've, I've met R.A. Salvatore numerous times at the conventions. Yeah. He's a really personable guy, really funny. He does some of the best seminars 
Like he'll basically do like Q and A's. Yeah. And he has some of the best Q and A's and he has all these great stories. So like I, 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 I'm not going to say like, I'm not pals with him, but you know, I know him and I've, I've know of him and I've met him and I've shaken his hand and I've asked him intricate questions about his writing technique and stuff like that. So I recognize him when I see him. Yeah. So you know, like when he walks by and you know, like Jake's about to just fucking get in Bob <laughs> Salvatore's face and I'm like, that was Bob Salvatore. So did he then take the time to say anything to him or did he just let him go? Well, he was, way? he was like, he Long was, gone already. He, he was burning a trail through the convention hall. He was probably having to go to a book signing or something. Yeah. So the best story, the best story is we were at E3, me and Duck and Dillip, but we had separated from Dillip at one point. Dillip was running around doing something, and we were just me and Mark, and we're just walking down this one hallway, and this guy comes up. Okay, I was under the impression that this happened on the exhibit floor. No. This was in a hallway? This was in a hallway outside the convention area. Going probably from one convention hall to the other. Okay. Passing between in a hallway. Oh, this is even better. It's in- more intimate. It's in- like changing everything for me. Inside the LA Convention Center where E3 took place, where we were. A guy walks past us. Not just past us, but between us. Okay? So actually breaks in between us. And as he breaks through in between us, he puts two hands up in the air and pats us both on the shoulder. <laughs> pats me on, you know, one arm patting me on the shoulder, one arm patting Mark on the shoulder. Passes in between us. Hey, guys, how you joined the convention? And keeps going. And then <laughs> I'm like, what? and Mark looks at me and it didn't hit me immediately. It took a second. But as soon as Mark said these words to me, it hit me. He looks at me and he says, was that Gary Busey? <laughs> and right after he says that, and I make the realization that we've just been back padded by Gary Busey, another guy parts in between us, and it's a cameraman that's following him uh, and like running behind him. He was shooting that reality TV thing at that time, wasn't he? Sure. I want. <laughs> I'm you know, going to actually considering it's Gary Busey post motorcycle crash. Anything is possible. I I don't know anything about a reality show he was filming. I want you to put yourself in that position where you don't know anything <laughs> about what's going on, and you've just been patted on the back by Gary Busey, who just walked between you and past you, and then a cameraman <laughs> follows him. Yeah, but this was the crazy Gary Busey. This yeah. was like this is like later career Gary. Yeah, Busey. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, this was 2006. Yeah. So, yeah, he yeah, was This this was like post Predator yeah. when he had the motorcycle accident yeah, yeah. and he never really quite came out of that the same. No, he yeah, he's he's a little different now. But uh yeah, that 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 that's a thing that happened to me and Mark. And it was one of the most bizarre moments of my entire life. <laughs> that's the story. It was insane. That's all there is to it. That's all I can say. Just walks by and pats you on the back. Yeah. Imagine yourself in that situation. You're just you know, walking around at E3 talking about, oh, the Metal Gear Solid 3 trailer was awesome. And where are we going to go next? And, and hey, hey, guys, how are you doing the show? What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> what just happened? And the cameraman. What? Cameraman. And then we spent time. Like after that. Like whatever we were talking about. Fuck that. Now it's like, what the fuck was he doing here? <laughs> where are we? Did we die? Are we dreaming? What happened? You know, it, it honestly doesn't surprise me 
though. Like when you told me that story. What are you talking about? How can that not surprise you? Well, what I mean is like at the time, I distinctly remember him shooting a reality TV show. Yeah, but if you don't know anything about that, you're just like, what the holy hell just happened? That's why for me as an outsider who had a little bit of different information, you guys weren't aware of that. It totally makes sense for Gary Busey to show up at like an important event and like do reality TV reactions. But we're just like, why is Gary Busey at E3? (laughs) And why is he patting us in the back? And what's the cameraman? And who that we spent a lengthy amount of time devoted to a conversation about why we had to know what was going on. It's like after you watch The Room, you just want to know like why? Why did this happen? And how did this happen? And what's going on here? It's pretty fucking awesome, man. So, uh, have you seen this picture of this uh, Nintendo zapper that <laughs> it's a gun, it's a Glock, but it looks like the Nintendo zapper? Yeah, it's a real gun. Yeah. And uh, it looks, uh, they, the, the gun manufacturer made it look like a Nintendo zapper. Now, I don't yeah. know a whole lot about this. All I've seen is this picture, and apparently, yeah, it's it's a real Glock. I've, I saw the picture, and I've seen the... Um, like there's backlash. Like people are like, it's a you know, it's a terrible idea. Why are they saying it's a terrible idea? Um, just because, like, I guess, like the common sense answer would be uh, a toy shouldn't look like a gun, and a gun shouldn't look like a toy. Now we've seen toys that look like guns before. Maybe people have played with toy guns as kids. Uh, I own Megatron. He's a gun. Yeah. You know, and all the incarnations of him that exist now are tanks. Or, you know, something, he's not a gun anymore. Right. You know, if he's ever in a robot, he looks the same. But when he turns, he's a, he's a tank or he's something other than a gun. Um, but now they've done the opposite. Now they've made a gun look like, um, you know, I, they say that it was a, um, uh, like a one, it was a one-off. It was like somebody requested this, we made it for them, and then that's the end of it. You know, we're not mass producing this, we're not doing anything. Which, you know, I personally think that's kind of a good idea. <laughs> I don't think there should be guns floating around out there. That oh, like... I think Nintendo would probably. Well, yeah, but plus, yeah, not only that, but Nintendo would be, they'd be on that in a second. So, I mean, it's it's not going to happen. But, yeah, I saw there was a big argument online. Like, some people were like, oh, who gives a shit? You know, it's like, if uh, if a kid gets a hold of this, you know, it's the gun owner's fault. But that, that argument can be made for any firearm. Exactly. That's not anything specific to a gun that right. looks like a Nintendo zapper. Yeah. I, I have taken my love of gaming completely out of this equation, and it's just like, I just think it's a bad idea. Well, which is surprising to me, because I figure your love of gaming would be something that would influence your opinion on it. Yeah, no, I, I just think it's a terrible idea. It looks like a zapper. That's awesome. It's a cool-looking gun. I, I like I, I, My affection for the craftsmanship of the gun itself and it. the design of it, I love it. Yeah, It's so cool. Don't make any more. Don't put them out there. Um, my my opinion of it is is that let me see if I can find the right way to, to express this. I'm I don't have a you know me I don't have a lot of affection for Nintendo like you do. Yeah, to yeah. me, Nintendo is just a company that made games and they made some great games and sure. they made some bad games. Like I don't have that unabashed affection for Nintendo. That yeah, well, you, that not so much anymore. Have. I mean, I recognize that they're making a lot of dumb moves as a company now but well even I, that i do have more of a nostalgia factor yeah, than you, you do you for have certain. you have reverence for yeah. a lot of their old classic ips sure. i don't like you know right. i like mario but i don't personally like i mario is on your for top me, 10 right mario is for me as lord of the rings is is for you there you go it's a good game it's perfect you know? but it's not 
it's not perfect really analogy. Exactly. Yep. Like I understand why it's great. I understand why so many people like it. I recognize the mastery that went into the design of the game. You know, now you want to talk about Zelda. I am all about Zelda. Sure. I'm even about like the quote unquote bad Zeldas, which I don't really think there are that many. There are any bad Zeldas. There yeah. are just Zeldas that aren't as good as some of the others. Yeah. But I think every Zelda game, that's a, every single player Zelda game. I'm not talking about like the four sorts and stuff like that, which could be fun. But you know, like for every single player Zelda game to me has been a masterwork. Yeah. I've, I've been impressed with them. Now, I have not played Skyward Sword yet. Mm. But that, that's that's the only one that would come close to the realm of what you're talking about. There's never been a bad Zelda game. That, in my opinion, had some real problems. That, really? Uh, yeah. It's a beautiful game. It's fun to play, but it has some major, major it, design I, flaws. I guess the thing I like about Zelda games so much is I like the dungeons. Yeah. And I like the inventive. I like the inventive boss fights. Yeah, well crafted dungeons. Um, good boss fights, the trademark Zelda stuff, but there's some stuff, uh, some overworld stuff that's annoying, and there's some gameplay quirks that are super annoying okay. that make it almost like I don't even want to play this anymore. What do you think of Twilight Princess? I love it. I'm playing I, it right now. Really? You're I'm playing, playing the HD. HD. Yeah. I, I like it a lot, too. It's oh. uh, my second favorite after Ocarina. Um, really, uh, for me, Ocarina is my favorite Zelda game of all time. Yeah, uh, mine is Majora's Mask. Majora, yeah, I know. And then uh, probably Twilight Princess after that as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, well, Twilight Princess and A Link to the Past are kind of like they're neck and neck. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's so like for me, Nintendo, I don't hold them in reverence like other people do. They made some great games, and they made some games I don't really care about. Yeah. Okay. So for me, though, seeing the zapper get turned into a gun, I don't know. It feels like it's a violation of something. To yeah. Me. <laughs> you know, like Nintendo is supposed to be a about fun wholesome yeah guns aren't fun and i'm not an anti-gun guy yeah i actually advocate i advocate for the ownership of firearms if you are responsible and as long as you're trained on the use of them i don't have a problem with a person owning a gun there have been times i've wanted to own a gun but my wife is not comfortable with it so i've never really i'm gonna tell you something really 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 strange is that i actually sort of like came to uh, appreciate guns because of Metal Gear Solid 4. Huh. Going going into that shop that dude what's his name dev, dev, dev what's that dude's name? I don't know, but I know the guy you're talking the guy, about. The guy yeah, the guy that you you buy all the guns from and like, you know, with those crisp HD graphics and seeing all the different guns and their craftsmanship and their different you know different different things they can do. This one's good for this and this one's good for this and their their craftsmanship and everything. I was just like, man, some of these guns are really cool. What do I what what do, how, why do I suddenly care about guns? <laughs> this is so strange. It's like I don't care about guns, but these are like some cool guns, man. I really uh I really dig these. But seeing the Zapper, I was just like, hey, you know, that's why that's why I'm saying I can appreciate like the way it's built and the way it's, uh, you know, but and that paint job, man, it looks really good, but yeah. it doesn't I- belong in the world. I yeah, guess. I, I just, know. I guess to me... As, like, as like they said, a one-off, they like, made it for a guy who requested it, and we were just showing you a picture of it because, you know, it came out cool, and that's the end of it, you know? Yeah, like, to me, like, I'm more impressed by when that dude made a guitar out of the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's really cool. That's stuff know? like that, yeah. Yeah, but... I, but I a, guess, but, a, but a, a Nintendo real gun, the wholesomeness of Nintendo combined with... Yeah, like, it's, with, a, it's a perversion right, of, the, right. of the innocence yeah. of... 
that era of Nintendo. <laughs> and again, I'm not stupid. I know that Nintendo's a corporation, and even back then, they were trying to get my money. Yeah. And Nintendo Power was just a it's a shill. It was a shill rag. But you know, for all the people that have pointed out that Nintendo Power is a shill rag. You still learned a lot of great shit yeah. from Nintendo Power. You learned about games that were coming out. Yeah, they were they were sort of weaning you on the Nintendo teat, so to speak. But you were still getting good You're information. Getting yeah. You were getting news. You were learning about games and getting tips and tricks. And you were getting interviews. And you were getting spotlights on games that were possibly coming out over yourself. You were still getting info. It wasn't like a completely... It wasn't just 30... It wasn't like, you know, 100 pages of advertisements. Yeah. It was 100 pages of interest. Interesting advertising. Right. Like there's a wholesome quality to like Nintendo and, and like I just feel that making a gun out of a Nintendo zapper is just kind of a strange perversion. It's it's not worth getting online and arguing no, about. No, it's but not. it's it's it was uh it, it definitely made me take a second look. It's one of those things, like I said, it popped up in my RSS feed, I scrolled past it and then kind of scrolled back. It was like, wait, what? I don't equate Nintendo with violence, I guess is right. what I'm trying to say. If you were going to make a gun that was a perfect replica of, say, the Samurai Edge from Resident Evil, yeah. that would make sense to me. Yeah. Or and, any gun from Metal Gear Solid right. 4, you right. know? I mean... <laughs> you might have a few upstairs. But, uh, but yeah, like, if it, it was something that was a replica of a thing that where violence was an inherent aspect of it, that'd be fine. You know, but what like, if they made, like, a real gun of uh, Megatron? Would that be... I think that'd be cool. Yeah. I... That'd be fucking badass. Yeah, I, you know. But is it is it the kind of thing that should be like around in people's houses? Like maybe if they have kids, I, I you know, I mean, see, you know, I they always say like, you know, well, if the kid gets a hold of it, you, you know, that's on the gun. But you know, you never know the billions of possibilities. Well, that yeah, can happen. That's in a right. Home. But that but that argument can be applied to weapons that aren't modeled after toys. Yeah, exactly. So like, I I can't say that like. I can't say that like a gun should be okay in a home as long as the owner's responsible, but a gun modeled after Megatron. But, but if it looks like Megatron or a zapper, it's not a fuck of, that. Yeah, fuck that. Because it's the same thing. Yeah. To me, like it's the same thing. A kid, a, if a kid is fascinated by firearms, they're going to try to get their hands on firearms if they see them. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, it has nothing to do with me being a parent or anything like that. It's just like one of those like, yeah, it's weird. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not as opposed to toys looking like guns as you are, but. A part of that I have to admit is is uh, sort of childhood entitlement. Yeah, you know because I grew up and I played with you had toy guns. I played stuff, with yeah. toys that looked like guns. But you know what? I, I look, think my mom probably just was like, "No, that's." Not. I look back on that time in my life though, and ultimately, I don't think it really mattered no. whether or not the toys looked like real guns or not no. to me. You know, I in fact, I think whenever the whenever we'd play the like cops and robbers or whatever, I think I used my Star Wars Han Solo blaster. Yeah. Like, I didn't well, you even don't, use a real gun. Yeah, you know what we used to do is... Um, a real... You know, a gun that looked like a... A toy gun that looked like a real gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I've probably mentioned this before, but, like, the way um, I... Um, my buddy Martin, Martin Alessi, EGM guy, um, the way I met him was uh, our mutual love of uh, Transformers when we were in grade school. And we used to fashion our own... Like, we would take, like... Um, like uh, cardboard roll, like cardboard rolls and tin cans and, like, duct tape them all together. And we would make, like, our own... We would pretend to be Transformers ourselves and make our own, like, guns. So even though I didn't have, like, toy guns, we just, like, fashioned our own. But they didn't look anything like a real-world gun. They had, like, silver duct tape all over them because they were supposed to look like they were metal. So, like, Martin, like, got me into, mm-hmm. like, making, you know, these, these guns. His basement was, like, he had a whole, like, his basement sectioned in half, and, like, half of it was, like, 
earth with the ark and the mountain made out of like paper mache and shit. It's cool. And then the other side was Cybertron and everything was covered in like tinfoil. And like he spent like a lot of time like making a display for his Transformers and stuff. And then he's like, oh yeah, and I got these like real Transformers guns that I made and we can actually play Transformers like where we can be the Transformers and shoot that kind of thing. That's like as far as my childhood gun toting went, but mm. you know. Is that any better or worse? No, I don't think it matters. No, I don't. I honestly don't. I don't think it matters, and I honestly don't think any of it matters. Is that a Skyward Sword shirt you're wearing? Uh, yeah, it is. That's kind of interesting. Isn't that though. funny yes. that I hate that game and I have the shirt? Well, you though? hate the game. Okay, yeah. now no, I don't. Are... I, okay, I'm taking it too far. I don't. I, yeah, I'm just generalizing it. Yeah. I don't hate it. Uh, it's definitely my, at the bottom, though. Yeah, I I need to play it only because it's the Zelda game I haven't completed yet, and I didn't um, play A Link Between Worlds either. I, I didn't that. play that either. I haven't played well, a lot of like. You don't have a 3DS, right? Though, exactly. So I don't have any of the. But, but there's gonna there's gonna be one in the house soon because yeah. kid. So. Yeah, I, I I haven't played a lot of the. I played uh, Link's Awakening and I played the Oracle of Seasons, the Oracle of Ages, or whatever. I like those. Those are all really good. In fact, Link's Awakening is a damn good. Yeah. Link Zelda game. Yeah, we'll have a three. Yeah, well, she's not gonna listen to this, but probably for her birthday, she can get a three DS. Uh, because uh, uh, the reason why it's happening is because, and I could start a whole new conversation about this. I won't, but um, as a parent, I am becoming very, very familiar with the world of microtransactions mm-hmm. and uh, that whole mobile gaming world. Just I, I can't express to you how much I hate that world. I cannot stand because my kid will go on YouTube and go shopping and she'll be like, oh, this game looks cool. I want to get this game. So I'll go on the app store and I'll look at it like, oh, it's free. And I'm immediately like, you can't have it. She's like, but it doesn't cost anything. It's free. Like, I thought that means no money. That means we can get it. Like, that's her rationale. You know, she understands like these games cost money. You can't have them. These ones are free. You can have them. So she's like, why can I have, why she like, you can't explain to a three-year-old because you buy the game, it's free, but then when you get into the game, in order to level up, you're going to have to complete this Im- completely impossible task. This task to complete, to get to this level, mm-hmm. to unlock this item, is impossible. You can't do it. You need to spend real-world money to get these gems, That the gems, and then you buy this thing, and then you buy, I oh, you're out of yeah. you know, in-game gems, and I'm just like, I just want to break the iPad in half over my knee. I'm so sick of it. And I'm like, we're getting her a 3DS for her birthday because I do not want her in this world. I, I want all these games that I just like that whole. It's so sad to me that that's where gaming has gone. Well, yeah, mobile, mobile gaming, I have a lot of contempt for it. I, I, think, it's, I think a lot of it is despicable. It's I horrible. It's taken a lot of the artistry out of crafting the perfect game. Like to me, so when I think about a good game, you're talking about a closed environment, mm-hmm. right? You have this closed environment, and within this closed environment, you've got so much space. Yeah. And with that space, you have to craft something that will be compelling and interesting and engaging and beautiful. And you have to do it with these resources. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, a lot of the, that's one of the great things about retro gaming and older gaming is that they were able to accomplish so much with so little. Right. You know, it's kind of one of the things about modern gaming that I'm not impressed by. Well, if you've got all this <laughs> space to, to, to build in, sure, it'll look great and it could be a great game, but it's just I really respect the artistry of, of that minimalist approach. And Absolutely. With free-to-play what you have is they're trying to emulate that minimalist approach, but 
they're monetizing it. Mm-hmm. And I feel that that monetization, just like the Nintendo gun, the Zapper gun, I feel it's just like it's a perversion of the craft. Mm-hmm. Now, games are going that way, and maybe it's just because we're old now, but... No, you know what? I thought about that, because being exposed to this day, day after day after day, and seeing this world and having to deal with these new types of parent problems that mm-hmm. never existed before. And I'm just like, it's not, I don't want her to grow up on that. Well, yeah, you want her to grow up on something that you feel has legitimate value and yeah. merit to it. Yeah. You know, uh, and it's not like she doesn't like this stuff. She likes Super Mario Brothers and she can, she can, she can complete level one, yeah. one, and she can do these things. So it's not like she doesn't like them. It's not going to, you know, but for now, all we got is the iPad, and she, you know, when she has free time, she wants to do this stuff. And I'm like, fine, knock yourself out, man. I want you to be a gamer. I want you to build reflexes. I want you to do these things. But when all it is is just you sitting there trying to level up this thing, oh, well, you need to, in order to level up, you need these crystals. You yeah. don't have enough crystals? Oh, you buy, can buy with, some. Buy some. Can I buy these? Absolutely not. Okay, well, I'll watch this video. And it's a video for, like, Call of Duty or The Walking Dead. It's like, what the fuck is this doing in a game that's marketed at, you know, I'll watch a video of Call of Duty or Walking Dead to earn some coins. That's fine. Not my three-year-old. Don't show that to my kid, dude. Seriously. Companies who are doing this, go fuck yourselves. Yeah, I, um, for me, I just, I don't, I'm not a parent. But But it doesn't matter. You know how shitty this all is. It really depresses me that gaming, which has always been about making money, is... But it's not it's not only about making money. You know, it, it, gaming used to be about you know, I guess I'm being a bit myopic here, but it used to be about selling you dreams. Yeah. Now it's just like I look at I've 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 dabbled with mobile games. Yeah. You know, I have. I've I've played a few of the card games and a few of the quiz quiz games, but I'm really saddened to see that this is all that they can think to do. <laughs> Right. That's the problem. That's the main problem. It's just so... This is, this is how we're going to make money off of the industry, yeah. is by monetizing and paywalls and you know free-to-play but pay-to-win schemes. I just... You know, I remember a time when a game could just be made and be a great game, and... There wasn't the, DLC, and there wasn't add-ons. I'm not opposed to... It worked to out of the box. No, I'm not opposed I'm not to that opposed either. I'm not opposed to DLC, and I'm not opposed to add-ons because I love expansions. Yeah. If the purpose of the expansion is not solely to suck money out of my wallet, <laughs> right. that is the purpose of an expansion. But I love the idea that a game that a game can continue to have life well beyond its prime life yes, period. Yes, yes, yes. I love that. PC gaming had that down for a while. You know, you had to go to the store and buy the expansion, and it just added to the experience. Yeah. The Witcher 3 had an expansion. That's that right. That was fucking fantastic, and they're doing a second one. That's going to be awesome as um, well. The, um, Red Dead Redemption with its zombie add-on. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And granted, you know, these companies are doing this to make money. Yeah. But... It also gives me more hours and more things to do in these games. I, I just feel like they're they're providing you with an experience that is worth experiencing. Yeah. Whereas with a lot of mobile games, I don't really I don't really feel like the pay to win stuff is adding to the experience. I, I mean, Star Wars Battlefronts is an example of DLC that I just find disgusting. It's fifty dollars <laughs> for the season pass, pay sixty bucks for the game. $50 for the season pass. And what does the quote-unquote season pass give you? It gives you a bunch of extra shit that they were working on 
during the development cycle of the game. Yeah. Batman Arkham Knight. They fucking designed all this DLC to be part of the season pass during the development cycle of the game. Yeah. But when it comes out, shit's broken. Nothing's working. Like, stop doing that. Yeah. Stop. Make the game work. Make the game work. Give me a. If you give me a complete game at sixty bucks, and I and and it works great, and I love, I can forgive a few little glitches here and there. Even right. the best games had a few little glitches here and there. Yeah. But if you give me a game that gives me a lasting memory at sixty bucks, like The Witcher Three, gave me one hundred and fifty hours on its own at sixty bucks. I had no problems buying the season pass for yeah. that game because I knew that those guys had designed a game for sixty bucks that was gonna, it was gonna give me way more than just a price point. Like it was gonna give me memories and it was gonna give me feelings and it was gonna, it was gonna inspire me to want to not only play more games like that, but it's gonna inspire me to want to like write and stuff like yep, that. Yep. It was gonna make me. I was gonna take something away from it more than just the dollar value of the game. And to me, like that's the best way to. To do to to have uh, extra pay content, you know, make the game the best game it can possibly be, and then when you add more value to it later, I'll be happy to pay for it. Yeah, you know, and you know, we can sit here and say fuck you to the creators of these games all day long, and they're not going to listen because this is working for them. They're making money. Why listen to two guys on a podcast who hate what they're doing? Well, too bad. We're making money. So for us, that's a good business model. It's working. We're not going to change it. So I guess who we really need to be talking to are the people who are paying microtransactions in the games. Stop doing that, and then this will go away. Stop it. Yeah, stop it. Stop it. Or we're sending Denny to come and shit in your house. As uh, Cosgrove from uh, Freakazoid would say, cut it out. <laughs> oh. In Ed Asner's voice. So we're, we're past all of that. Well, it doesn't matter because Sam Bison's coming, so. This motherfucker again. Yeah. Where does he get all these trucks? Well, I what think What is we... it with Ricks? <laughs> what is it with trucks? Well, I think we established our uh, our story that he just goes to a random truck stop on I-80 somewhere. Do you think he bites the owner so that the owner can be like the dude at the beginning of Resident Evil 2? Guy's a maniac. Why'd he bite me? Oh, my God. I didn't know that he even bit people. And bison? Yeah. Um, That's a thing now? Um, He's well, a vampire well, and a psycho-powered um, warlord? Wow. Is this I know, I know what you're talking about, though. The uh, Resident Evil 2. Yeah. The, that guy's a maniac. Guy's a maniac. Why'd he bite me? Yeah. That's good. That sounds just like that scene. I haven't heard it in a long time, but when you say it, it like comes right back. Yep. You say it just like that. Then he ends um, up getting zombified. I wonder if M. Bison's a zombie. The Can- yeah, the Canadian voice actors. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's, sorry about that, babe. Yep. I like how he's like really condescending and uh, and sort of chauvinistic to Claire, but he's just like a complete jackass to Leon. Mm-hmm. Kind of like M. Bison's being a jackass every time he tries to run us over with his truck. Yeah, well, I mean, we keep defeating him, so you know he has to keep coming and getting revenge. It's yeah. a cycle, you know, the circle of life, as it were. Apparently, uh, we don't fight with honor. <laughs> That's right. So, he's so in, him, him uh, hitting us with the truck is his unplugging the machine right. in he, anger. He's trying to get that hit back, and he can't. Yeah, he can't do it. We keep kicking him. Uh, I wanted to talk about a couple things that you can do to help us out 
and spread the word about us. You know, when we post things on uh, Facebook, and we do periodically post on Facebook, and then they cross post to Twitter, you like or comment and, you know, just kind of help us spread the word and let everybody know who we are and where we are. If you like what we're doing, just tell people about us. Just tell one person. Tell them to tune in. Some of you have been doing that already, and we appreciate that. That's pretty cool. People are calling in now. We got the phone number, 773-492-2642. It's the Gaming AM hotline, greatest hotline in the world. And uh, I assure you that uh, Denny will never answer it. I know that was a concern for some people. It was my concern. Yeah, it was your concern. A couple other people expressed concern. Like, what if Denny picks up? Like, he won't uh, because of a shock collar. So mm-hmm. if he tries to pick up the phone, he gets shocked. And so. the fact that um, we had his tongue cut out. Oh, my God. I didn't know about that. Yeah. That's... Hmm. It's harsh. Well, he didn't really talk that much anyway, so. Good. No, um, he won't ever talk anymore. <laughs> Poor Denny. Drop us a review on iTunes. That's another way you can help out. Give us a few stars on uh, on iTunes. Like us on Facebook, on Twitter. We got our uh, YouTube channel. You subscribe to the YouTube channel. We're going to put some more things up there, hopefully pretty soon. We're thinking about uh, some ideas that we got cooking up. And also visit my shop, repro.rad.tv. Shop's completely restocked. Got a couple new items uh, coming up in the next few days. A couple requests from some of you that I'm putting up. Uh, Shining Force 2. You ever played that? For, yeah, uh, yeah for... I, I played the first two for uh, Sega Genesis. Yeah, somebody uh, somebody had a request. They uh, There was a version of Shining Force 2 called Shining Tactics Final Edition. It's got like a whole bunch of enhancements to the role-playing elements of the game. So I put that patch in. I'm going to get that built out, and then I'm going to put that one up. I'm making it for the guy that requested it, but then I'm also going to put it up for sale in the shop. So that'll be pretty cool. But a lot of more uh, stuff up there, too. And uh, I am an occasional writer for Operation Rainfall, which is the website that successfully campaigned to get three niche Wii titles released in the United States a few years back. The three titles were uh, Xenoblade Chronicles, the Last Story and Pandora's Tower. That's, I was not a part of the campaign when they were doing it, but that's pretty cool. During one of their, uh, that is pretty cool that they actually managed to get it done. It actually became a pretty big deal in the industry, yeah. and uh, they actually successfully managed to get Nintendo to release it through a very skillful letter writing campaign. Very well handled. They understood how the industry worked, and they knew how to get people to communicate with Nintendo in a positive fashion to get them to reconsider their stance on not releasing these niche titles, which turned out to be three of the better titles released for the Wii, perhaps outside of Nintendo's offerings. I would say that Xenoblade Chronicles and The Last Story were on par with many of Nintendo's titles mm. in terms of overall quality. They were really doing some great work back then, and we've become a uh, niche game news site. It's www.oprainfall.com, one word. Mm. I post an occasional article there. Again, still do more editing. And don't forget to visit us at gamingam.com, where we post the podcasts for you to listen to, uh, if that's your only avenue for uh accessing them and where i post my blogs and you know we'll probably do some other stuff with it yeah he uh writes some pretty good stuff up there the latest one about batman superman is really good one i mean they're all good but this one in particular i was like it really hit home man (laughs) well i'm glad you enjoyed it and i appreciate all the praise yeah it was uh it was good but don't get used to it so uh keep the uh well i got well i gotta keep you on your toes because if i like give you praise you'll just be like well Uh, i can just write any shit yeah i can just write any old shit i gotta keep writing the good stuff yeah i'm down with it otherwise i'll just bash it well no that's fine so that's it man 
Episode 6. Episode 6. Give me M, greatest podcast in the world. I'm Ray Price. I'm Tom Tolios. Big American party! Yay! Everybody disco dancing. Lots of fun. Good time for all. I'm having very good time. Robot dancing? Oh no! Police! in here who's driving oh my god bear is driving how can that be car full of midgets korean animation studio everybody work everybody work everybody work he big mean man whip us we are slaves here we are We will stop you! There's no escape this time! No! It's you who will be the one escaping! Not Pikachu! Please don't sue! Ha ha ha! Axel Foley, Judge Reinhold! Tom Cruise! Oh no! You want the truth? You can't handle the truth! Show me the money! 